This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Will. And we're going to talk about Trekonomics. The Economics of Star Trek, a 2016 book by Manu Sadia. I assume that's how it's pronounced. Um, it says he's a French economist. Um, this is very light on economic theory. But um, did you guys notice uh, there was a, a line in there? It was capitalism in the 24th century. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was the biggest shout out in the book to the other French economist that's famous. Yeah, there, well, there wasn't much that you wouldn't have gotten in like in a decent macro economics course. Very, I mean, very was, lightweight. Shout out to that to that woman who won the, the well, it's not really the Nobel Prize. It's one of many errors. There's no Nobel Prize in economics. It's a Nobel adjacent. <laughs> it's a dismal picture. science. But but that woman, I forget her name. I, I don't. Her, I, but, I don't know who uh, you're she, talking about. You criticize is like the the tragedy of the commons by actually looking at how okay. people actually manage. Which is shouted out in this book as well. Resources is that's that's some good recent scholarship that he brought up. But it's, I actually thought it was kind of light on the Star Trek. It's, it's light in almost every respect. Uh, so uh, you all heard of Thomas Piketty and uh, this his book called Capitalism in the was it twentieth century or twenty first century? Uh, I know I know about his book Debt, the first five thousand years. That's David Graeber. Yeah, oh, Graeber, I'm that's my that's also an Evan book, but <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm mixing up my, my economists. My apologies. Yeah, no, so, I don't know any of those books. So Piketty wrote a book, uh, probably around twenty fifteen, is my guess, since this book came out twenty sixteen. Um, that was huge, huge, thick book. And basically it proves that, uh, in France and around the world, um, that the rich control everything and we get the crumbs. Um, and that it's not just the top, top 1%. It's the, you know, a class of people. Um, and it's the blue checks basically. <laughs> um, and their moms and dads. Yeah, the the pesky blue checks. But it's not it's not to say uh you know you get a blue check you're part of the group. It's 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 a class of people and they're the ones who run things and they're the ones who benefit from all the all the uh improvements, I guess, or productivity gains is is probably the way it puts. And the future uh, is unevenly distributed and they get most of the distribution. Except it's not it's not the future, Paul. It's it's the present. <laughs> Well, I, I, I am quoting from the science fiction author. Okay. Yeah. yeah the, the future. The future. The yeah, that's in this book too. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, before we get too deep into the book, I just wanted to mention I asked um, not the author, but because I don't know him, but I asked the narrator uh, Oliver Wyman if he wanted to come on the podcast. He quit Twitter a while ago, but I asked him on uh, uh, not Steam, Twitch. No. I don't know, one of those... Oh, Discord, that's what it was, because he's on Discord, and I see him playing games all the time. Um, he was not able to join us because he's uh, running a uh, Dungeons & Dragons campaign for his kid. <laughs> um, and he's a great uh, voice actor, as you can tell. 
Uh, he was here. fabulous. He's really good. Um, yeah. He was very embarrassed, uh, he said, about uh, mispronouncing Risa. I also uh, mispronounced Garrick. That's the one I was going to yeah. like. How does he not know how to pronounce Garrick? Um, so he said, and he was right. He, he, uh, but I, I like that it still stands out in his mind. This <laughs> is sort of a problem from four years ago that he, he got, he mispronounced Risa early on in the book and then later on it was correct. Um, but yeah, Garrick is wrong throughout, throughout the book. Um, <laughs> other than that, he did great. Um, did you? Uh, is he a Star Trek fan? Yeah, he's a fan of pretty much everything. Um, he's very enthusiastic. He's a comics guy. He's a games guy. He he is in a lot of computer games as a voice actor, um, and he is a great narrator. We actually had him. I think was it last week, um, as well. Recently, we had him uh, for that. Um, what, what was? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, geez. Uh, it wasn't Sin Hell. It was a Fall of Moon Dust. Fall of Moon Dust. Yeah. So Oliver Wyman's all over this yeah. podcast. Um, he he asked me if I was going to have Manu on, and I I said no. <laughs> but I was going to have Evan on, who is going to write a, a Star Trek sex book. Um, <laughs> and that didn't convince him to come on. Did a CBC um, interview. Who who did? Manu did. Mm. Somebody on CBC interviewed him about this. It was a five-minute interview. And how did it go? Good. He just reiterated what he said here in five minutes. Right. So. It, it, this oh, book feels... The, 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 the Star Trek sex book. Yeah. I'm, I'm a historian. This is what I was trying to get you to respond to on the DMs. <laughs> Try to bait me. Didn't. Like... I'm kind of trained to kind of lay the evidence on thick, and we know there's a limit, you know, in doing that. There's yeah, a, sure. There's a point where it's it's annoying to keep doing more, but you you need a fair amount, right? You yes. Need to be convincing. Yes. And it's it's still a problem in my writing. Like I was trying with the Lovecraft thing, which I'm still working on. Like I I end up like writing long because I'm like got a lot of letters to go through, and mm-hmm. I want to cite quite a lot of them. And I'm reading this, and he like has that that chapter on the commons, which is I think is one of the weaker chapters. Oh, it's terrible! That by the way, Eleanor Ostrom—that's the name of this. The tragedy of the commons is what you're talking governing, about. Governing the commons, which is a good book. It's it actually shows that if you actually look at societies how they manage resources, they don't have the tragedy of the commons. But um, um, my point is that cited one episode. Yeah. That's the episode uh, where there's other, there's they the limit. Thing is, if it was the only episode dealing with this theme, I'd be like, okay, you know, it's stretching yeah. a little thin, but that's all there is. But there's the wormhole at the, at the least. There's other ish, There's other commons issues. Sure. In the in the in the show. Um, this is a this is a popular and, and it's just book. like that's the that's I don't know. I, that's I why it's not capital in the twenty first century. But this is like a popular book, right? It was like funded. Yes. Kind of like almost like a Kickstarter, it seemed. Yes, it feels like it. And and it got reviewed by the New York Times with the cover at a New York Times review. Yeah, well, um, what's his name from the New York Times is is heavily Krugman, right? Yeah. Is heavily uh, yeah, he, in he this talks book about Krugman and um, and the and uh, foundation and psychohistory a bit in this book too. Yes, he does, and and Krugman is. He's a smart, stupid person, right? Like, he, if you if you think about 
he he used to sort of have some sort of argument, but his arguments have basically gone into emotions because of the class that he's in and the like he wanted to be uh Harry Seldon. <laughs> yeah. And then what did he turn into? <laughs> Not Harry Seldon, right? Um it it's like a it's it's like a tame soft uh at, uh Piketty is like it, it was foundationally shaking for a lot of people. Um but most people didn't read it, including me. Right. Uh, one of my friends read it and he was telling me about it while he's reading it. So I got a good sense of what's going on. But it was, it was exactly what you're saying, Evan. It was laying out all the evidence. Whereas this is almost completely the opposite. There are, it feels like there's about 20 episodes talked about in any sort of detail, including like, I'm looking just on a random page or, or the arena episode from the original Star Trek. There's Which no. You got wrong. Yeah. And you there's. got that wrong too. Cause. The whole point of that episode was the Federation is invading their territory. The There's territory. Uh, he's it's, he's basically very light on every everything he touches on, and um, you know, the, in the footnotes, which we don't get in the uh, audiobook, um, he even says, you know, yeah, this is not exactly right, but go with it. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, but yeah, that's you know, um, uh, and. Uh, uh, that's why I think that PDF is kind of useful. If, if y'all, I, I did send it to you. Um, it has, you know, you can look at the, P, the, the, the footnotes and see, okay, he, he's acknowledging that this is not strictly true or, you know, there are other episodes that deal with this issue. But even his choice of, of things to talk about, like, I thought that this is an entertaining book, but I don't think it's a good, does a good job with what it's doing. You know, like, Breaking down, really breaking into how different parts of the Trek universe economy could work. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's not, it's not like, uh, let's really, let's really, uh, take this seriously. It's more like, eh, isn't this interesting? And uh, it's sort of Trekonomics is a blueprint, sort of kind of maybe for the future. It's like, not really. It, it is very pop pop culture bookie. I mean, it's kind of like the science of sci-fi or the science of Trek. Yes. It's, it's, it's in that. Although it's a little that. better than that. It's, it, it, it's, it's not, um, it, it, it just, it feels like, like I could have written this and I, I'm not an economic specialist, but I'm like, this is kind of weak economics. You yeah, know, none of the economics here was new to me. It's no. all stuff you get yeah. in a decent freshman class. Yes. Yeah. That's not like I always complain about the AP economics book because it's all wrong. But there's some of this stuff is not talked about in the AP economics. So the like, People's Republic of Walmart uh, book is way better at at doing the job of this book than this book is, and yet it it basically doesn't talk about Star Trek at all. It's like I think there's a couple of mentions, right? And then one of them is just on the shape of the the uh chairs in a room <laughs> uh, and so like uh, like evan i was thinking all about how you can use this book as a template um to see like this is a very successful book uh given its boring cover and you know the fact that it's not uh you know it's not written by a famous person this is a very successful book it, it did get the you know the cbc radio interviews and new york times uh <laughs> sales and stuff so what did he do right 
Um, I think like the opening in, uh, is not the introduction. It was the prelude or something that he wrote, uh, making it personal. I think that that's something you should do. <laughs> like, because, he because he ties in why why is this important to him because well because he because he he, he got introduced to star trek personally and it's he's taken through that and so we we get it we get that slice of why is star trek important to him and why is its future important to him well it's on a very personal level and that gives him a, a bond that gives a reader a chance to actually yeah. engage with dry text yeah so i would it's say like you should but i i found it like the pathos didn't in those sections didn't was a bit overblown compared to the material in the book. Yes, and it, like if Star Trek had led him to a career in economics, you know that may be more interesting to me. Well, I was just thinking a, a like interest. He just happens to be the way you should a, do a it. Truck fan who was also an economist is you should write it from Riker's point of view, um, <laughs> and just like you know play Riker as a sort of a character. And write it from his point of view. I, obviously, it'd have to be distant somehow. But you know, looking back on the long career of, <laughs> you know, he can be angry. Like you can have a bit about him being angry about his his twin brother, <laughs> Thomas Riker, right? You get. <laughs> um, but I, 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 one of the chapters I suggested was. Uh, uh, Imzadis and isotopes, right? Uh, se <laughs> sex between species and with robots. Um, and you just go through all the episodes and talk about what they have to talk about, right? And there's a lot of them where, uh, like, for example, I, last night I was watching, um, the episode and I, I was thinking about how we never see, see it. And then we finally did in this episode where, uh, Rom and, um, Quark go to the home planet of the, uh, of the Ferengi. Ferengis and they visit his mom because she's been, uh, uh, she's been pro profit, doing profit. She's been practicing business, which is illegal, right? And they have to get her to confess, and Rom sort of brings the family together at the end of the episode. But the great scenes were like um, the interviewer or the government agent whose job it is to get get them to confess and is taking bribes every three seconds um, says, uh, you know, as they enter the house, they have to pay a fee. <laughs> And then uh, the mom comes out and she's dressed and and he covers his eyes and he says, "This woman is dressed." <laughs> and then and then Quark says, "Mother, get undressed immediately." <laughs> he commands her, right? So there's a there's a comedy there that is hilarious, but it's based on the fact that you know we we regulate women's dress in in human society, right? Whether it be in Saudi Arabia or in uh, British Columbia, you know, women are supposed to, there, there's, there's a, you know, back and forth, there's laws, uh, saying, you know, men don't have to wear shirts, but women do have to wear bras, and then they strike that down, but the police keep enforcing, you know, that women aren't allowed to walk around bare-breasted, and then they go out and... But there, there's a real-life, uh, real-life example of this, is like the, the French, like... Sure. ...banning burkinas on beaches. Right. Like, you must wear a bikini if you're going to be. That's France. right. Get and that, get that bikini off. And it, it is very, um, it is very appropriate to think about that as a sex issue because what's so funny is, you know, Ram is very close to his moogie, <laughs> and he leans down after she gets undressed just for him, not because she 
wants to, but because he, he appreciates it. She gets undressed just for him in her bedroom, which is a very conservative bedroom, to remind her of all the things that are wrong with Ferengi society. <laughs> gets undressed in her bedroom, and then he puts his head on her naked lap, right? That was a weird scene. It's It's, it's so weird, and it's hilariously funny, because yeah. they treat it as a... Uh, is you know a loving thing and i'm like oh well the, this is very interesting so that's actually sex related and you can totally write about that um but i want to hear more about this book right right well, so sex book yeah the sex yeah that's what i'm saying is well, evan's sex book is going to be way better than this book jesse <laughs> i think oh, we'll okay, go and read that yeah and <laughs> we kind of got an outline basically not yeah. just this chapter i, I mean I even sketched some things out. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I, 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 like, I, I mean, my, this, this is what kind of was enlightening when I read this book. It's like if this is all it takes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Is month. this is this is a very easy recipe, man. <laughs> because I, mean, I don't even have to watch all the Star Trek. I was like thinking I have to watch all the Star. Trek. No, you do have to watch all the Star Trek. I don't. No, you just cut it off at a certain date, right? Like, like he doesn't mention anything past uh, Enterprise, right? What? I, Obviously, well, I, I don't think Discovery was out yet. No, he uh, he goes. He, he mentions the with the sex book because there's there's like no sex in Discovery. There, there's sexual <laughs> politics and oh God, and like well, we got this gay couple. We got uh, I guess in the third season there's a, a gender neutral person. Mm-hmm. So there's politics, but th- there's not much sex. Like romance, like like Burnham and that Klingon. Human thing, Ash. Ty- I don't know who's watched Discovery, but like they have some. Like I barely watch like this stuff, so I was kind of like dipping through the episodes. They have some kind of like relationship, but I never saw them in bed together. It was more tortured than that. <laughs> you watched it more sort of fairly than me. I, I just I couldn't. I was like I had to be like working on puzzles or something. <laughs> like, really torturous. <laughs> Yeah, you well, I think I can forget Discovery too, and this guy did. So, he so really, he talks. He, he actually talks about the J.J. Abrams movies after Discovery. He's going to have to change like a few chapters. Well, uh, he talks about like, the J.J. Abrams movies. That's, that's out the window now. And when the, what he says about the J.J. Abrams movies is that they're entertaining, and I just don't think that that's true. Um, I think that they have what looks like entertainment, right? But he does point, his criticism is that it's, he basically doesn't say it, but he says it's not Star Trek. And the reason it's not Star Trek is because the characters have the motivations of sort of petty teenagers from the 20th century rather than like this, uh, Picard. Yeah, 23rd century people, yeah. uh, And the crew of the Enterprise folks who are so, um, like chill with everything. That they have a counselor, and when the counselor advises them, they take the counselor's advice seriously and, and don't not like a petulant and, child. And, 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 and I mean, it's it's funny you mentioned chill because I just happened to be watching a clip the other day where Data's temporarily in command of the Enterprise, and they're looking for something, and he's working with Worf, and he finally gives orders, and Worf says on his bread, "Finally," and then. Data takes Worf into his court, into, into the ready room, and dresses him down for mm-hmm. being insubordinate in front of him. It's like, wh- like I, I was, I was watching. It, it's like, well, that's not chill. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think, I think there was a, uh, 
there was some sort of that was a weird episode though i think there was like there it was, was a weird episode but it kind of undercuts the whole argument here oh yeah the 24th it's not consistent right so yeah, it's not it's, consistent. it's it's not consistent with this thesis that they're all chill like no and, no and but generally they are pretty chill it's not chill you know the the, the well, they're space nine at all no yeah i i haven't got to the part where Worf is back on deep space nine you know back in the regular rotation of crew but uh, there are there are exceptions. It's because there's different writers, you know, working on stuff mm-hmm. and stuff happens. But his his general point that most of the characters on Enterprise, uh, the Enterprise D, are like Vulcans is is pretty accurate, right? And notice that's why there's no Vulcans on the show, right? They've replaced all the characters with Vulcans and. And his argument in in this book, uh, Manu Sadia's argument that the reason the next gener uh, sorry the Star Trek films um, with Kirk, Scott, McCoy, etc., up to um, episode six or whatever the after Voyage Home and after five, whatever six call is called, um, oh, you know, country. yeah, with Kirk um, like sort of racist um, is. Is because it's out of Roddenberry's control. I think that that totally makes sense and explains a lot. Um, and if you, f- if you think about how six works, like there's some fun stuff in it, but it's actually a bad film. Um, because you think the characters are acting out of character. And, and when you get it in, in episode four, Voyage Home, you feel like they're, they're a fish out of water, as he says. I think he gets those films right. Right. Like, like I think he's, he's really grasped onto it. And, and that's why they, that first, uh, Star Trek film feels so cold, right? Is because it is Roddenberry, um, making everybody sort of Vulcanish and it's very hard. It's very Isaac Asimov, right? As he points mm-hmm. out in the book, there are some good points he makes in here, but it feels very, it's like a souffle. It's very f- fluffy. <laughs> very, very, very. Very fluffy material. Um, there is some flavor, but I don't. I don't think he's made his argument as strong. Like he spent way too much time on GPS and a lot less time on on the internet and sort of like you know just the distribution of digital goods. Um, that it feels like. Well, yeah, GPS is information, but it's not. It's not digital goods in the same way as audiobooks are or pdfs are or podcasts are youtube is um and all all of the he's right that all of these are from government funded uh you know research military projects right um and we we get the benefits of those absolutely he's he's on the right thing he's just this book is it feels like it's totally not serious about its topic as much as oh yeah this is a it's sort of a Fluffy outline. Well, Jesse, you I think there's a reason the for that. Reader. Why is that, Will? Okay, so I think that this isn't like. Uh, so here's who I think the audience of this book is supposed to be. I think that uh, here we have like uh, a left-leaning economist uh, writing. You just cut conservative Star Trek fans. Uh, I don't think he's me? that. Yeah, you cut out a bit, but um, I don't think he's that left. I think he's he's like liberal, right? He's left leaning. Left dish. Like, uh, uh, yeah, he's a social democrat. Yes. 
Yes, that's like I, I mean, I think he like he comes out and celebrates that the uh, uh, the, the Ferengi people Democrats. I, I, I mean, the whole subtitle of capitalism in the twenty fourth century kind of gives that away. He's not. He's not. He's not a red diaper baby, as they say. What is that? <laughs> right, right. What is a red uh, diaper but, uh, baby? I think, but I think he's. I think he's writing a book to convince uh, uh, people who would other be otherwise uh, support uh, more conservative policies uh, to support more. Uh, um, I think that's. Uh, I think that's the purpose of this book. I don't think it's uh, uh, a book that's designed to like really explore these issues for. Uh, uh, you know, people like us, I really don't think we're the audience of this book. Yeah. He, he what I was I thinking about, uh, he, like a lot of this rests on that equation. I, 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 I didn't have the PDF when I heard this, so I didn't, and I actually didn't go back and look up the details, but he talks about like, if there's just this 1% growth in productivity per, per year, like a modest mm-hmm. growth in productivity, like the average worker will be making 60 times oh, yeah. the stuff an hour or what, what they make now. Right, mm-hmm. and he's so so that if it, I guess I mean a lot can happen in 200 years. So, but I mean there are there is reason to to look at certain things optimistically in terms of of the expansion of public goods in the last couple centuries, the expansion of just productive capacity, you know, the lifting of what is it the 500 million people. To the middle class in China. These yeah, are, China just announced these are, that these it's are real defeated things. poverty, right? A, but he kind of just doesn't deal with inequality nearly as, I think, intensively as it needs to be dealt with. And, and the, the transition between the Trek economy yeah. that he's, you know, he's got as the title of the book, but uh, that isn't, yeah, it doesn't exist. So it's, it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe one day, yeah, to think about it, isn't that interesting? And I noticed Paul, uh, very early in the week, you, you, uh, must have finished very early in the week. I, I, I did finish early in the week. You were I just, saying, I just, I just blew through it, yeah. Yeah, you were, so, and I can see why. It's very, very easy listening, right? Very uh, easy listening. I could do my, I did, I did my, it's well my job and just listened straight through and there wasn't anything interesting on the radio anyway so that's why I blew through it in like two and a half days so um you said uh, I didn't expect this to go full Aurora or something to that effect. yeah and and I said yeah, save it for the podcast I was of a poll when that happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes because last last time we talked um, we talked a lot about Aurora um, and what Kim Stanley Robinson was saying is basically that, you know, thinking that you're going to have an interstellar civilization is ridiculous. Um, and if you think about that a lot, you're deluding yourself. So um, uh, the way you said it, Paul, in the direct message or whatever, I thought, uh, oh, this is book has d- disappointed you. And so I, I kept expecting that to show up. And of course, it was right near the end. And it's again. It's another chapter where I feel like, oh, he's made the point, but he made it so lightly that I, I thought the only way you would even see it as that, Paul, is is in the light of that conversation we had. What? Yeah, if we hadn't had that long conversation about Aurora, I probably wouldn't have noticed it so much. But indeed, that was and kind of first on the mind. That's kind of my point about what's wrong with this book is like he doesn't take it seriously. He he says, oh, isn't this interesting? He doesn't like this means this so like i i tweeted to you 
not to you, but out this morning, right, as we were beginning the podcast, this clip I found from just an episode I was watching last night where Cisco and Jake are reconstructed a Contiki-style uh, solar sail ship from ancient Bajor from 8,000 years ago. And they take it on a flight through their the Bajoran solar system and eventually through some tachyon things uh, found the wind up in another solar system yeah yeah. find themselves in cardassia right and on the trip uh jake and and his dad have a conversation about you know what you're going to do with your life and and uh um ben cisco says to his son you know when i was a kid and i went off to work at uh, uh joined starfleet academy for the first week i showed up for dinner every night uh and i i just sat down like i'd come downstairs but i beamed in at 6 30 every every night and i was thinking well the louisiana map like what time does he classes get up but actually the important part was the sun <laughs> says you must have used up a month's worth of of transporter credits that's yeah. not mentioned in this book he didn't do his his due diligence like like as i'm going through the episodes i'm like making notes I don't feel like he did that. I feel like he didn't get on Netflix or whatever and yeah. go through the whole episode. I think he picked out some episodes to talk a lot about and it just it's it doesn't feel like it it is the definitive word on uh Star Trek's economy at all. And uh I maybe we should have invited uh, the Star Trek communist on well <laughs> That guy who has <laughs> yeah, a stack I of. About him. I think he like this book. <laughs> yes, he would like this book because he likes anything related to Star Trek. He's very, he's very uh, Star Trek positive. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Trotsky are natural opportunists, so he would just see this book and be like, "Oh, this is kind of like a left wing book. Like, I'm gonna like say this is communism." <laughs> But that's the point, is this guy, this Sadhu guy, or Manu Sadia, does not say anything about communism except for the line of each according to his ability, each according to his need, or something. Uh, you know, it's very light. It feels like it's for Paul Krugman, this book. Or or, or maybe even by Paul Krugman, if you know what I mean. That, that That's a better way to put it. I think it, uh, it's on the level of Paul Krugman. Yes. And that's not a good thing. I, I, I like the book. I just don't think it's, it's, it, it doesn't like that, um, a Walmart book we did, The People's Republic of Walmart is, is a much better, does a much no. better job of this book than this book does. And it's not about Star Trek. It's not by I an economist. That I don't think. Too. Yeah. It had better economics in the backdrop. Yeah, more historical evidence for it. Like, like there, there's a lot of episodes. They just had the 800th episode of Star Trek, right? Regular TV Star Trek. I noticed in this book he also says uh, that the animated series doesn't exist. And I thought, oh, that's yeah. just another excuse yeah. not to watch more episodes. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that. Like, sometimes I wonder, like, he seemed to like Star Trek, but... Like, I was thinking if the Star Trek communist watched this, he knows Star Trek really well. Right. Like, all the little mistakes, like, you'd mentioned the audiobook reader was bothered by mispronouncing Garrick and still bothered. Yeah, and Ryzen. Yeah. About mispronouncing Garrick. There's, like, Ferengis. Yeah. No one, like, 
any like I think anyone who watched Deep Space Nine knows Ferengi is the plural. Mm. <laughs> it's I've no I don't yeah. remember it ever being Ferengis unless some writer you know messed up. I didn't even notice that, but uh, you're but right. It, it makes it was, like, sense. Cringy the whole time I listened to it, and then messing up the interpretation of Arena. That was. I mean, that really bothered me because I, I think a lot about that episode. Mm. It's what's it important? Really it, the, uh, well, it's about the Federation really invading the Gorn territory. It's also about it's also about the war in the Pacific. You know, I mean, it is. Yeah. It, 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 Arena, the original story is it's it's literally a white m- man on a blue beach fighting uh, a red um, sphere with uh, tentacles coming out of it. And Eric Rabkin pointed this out years and years ago, and I can't stop thinking about it because that's the imperial Japanese war flag, right? So it's oh, it's the United States fighting yeah. Japan. And it's on a blue sand beach, right? So it's it's the Pacific War, and this came out in 1944. That story, right? Who, who wrote that story? Uh, that's Frederick Brown. Oh. Uh, Frederick is F R E D I C. It's really hard to spell his name correctly. Frederick Brown. He, he's famous for a story called Knock, which is one sentence long, right? Um, it goes. <laughs> Can you remember it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the last person on Earth sat no, in a room the last, was the door. No, you got it wrong because you have to do it perfectly. Otherwise, you can misinterpret the story. The last man on Earth sat alone in a room, comma. There was a knock on the door. Period. So if you say last person, yeah, it changes the options for the ending, right? For the what's going to happen next. So it can be a science fiction story. It could be. Uh, you know, with aliens or, you know, some dog <laughs> knocking on the door, whatever. But or it could be a woman, right? Um, and th- th- he's famous for stories like that. But they, when they translated it to the original Star Trek, and that's one of the very few. It might be the only original Star Trek episode that is credited to a particular story. Um, other ones are, you know, compilations or they're like other things. But that one is special because it's a real science fiction story that was a me- that was a metaphor for something that was really going on which is what Star Trek was right it's a metaphor for something that's really going on and that's why the klingons and the romulans are problems that Roddenberry was saying humans are facing right romulans are the unknown enemy right the klingons are like kind of like Vikings and I, I love it. Well, well I, actually, actually, I thought it was the Klingons were the Russians and the yeah, Romans it's like were that. The Chinese, it's like that, right? Or vice versa. Um, well, well, the Romans are well. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, getting into not so great stereotypes. The inscrutable Chinese equals the mysterious Romulans, and the warlike Klingons is you know the imperialist, imperialist Soviet Russia. So. It, it, it's it's a good analogy, but notice that he does the opposite, right? So if you think about how the Romulans are introduced, we think that uh, they've never seen them, right? But we get to see them as the audience. It turns out they look just like Mister Spock, right? Yeah, which is the big reveal, yeah. Dun, but dun, dun. but but that means that they're they're a lot like something we already know, right? Which means they're a lot like us in a certain sense, because Mr. Spock's like, it's important to think about, yeah, how they, you know, the way the, the Klingons are portrayed, they change over time, but eventually as is pointed out in this book, and these are the good parts of the book, 
where he says, you know, by the time of Next Generation and after the episode movie six, um, where, you know, the Romulans and the Federation, Klingons and the Federation have come together and are now allies. This, uh, yeah, and I was thinking of a, a early Enterprise and a, a Star Trek Generation episode where they get it wrong and they, and, and, whoa, and Wesley Crusher is talking with uh, Picard and he says, is that when the Klingons, is that after the Klingons joined the Federation? It's like, and that's never said anywhere else. Again, they're, they're allies, but Wesley Crusher and, and Picard says, yes, it's like, and it's never mentioned anywhere else that the Klingons are part of the Federation. So it was a really weird first season goof that they make the Klingons part of the Federation for one episode. Oh, uh, well there, I mean, I didn't, I didn't notice that they were, Okay. It, 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 it's a goof, obviously. It's a, they didn't join the Federation; they're just part of the Federation, and they're, they're just allied with the Federation, which is why Worf's on board. But it's like, but I just think, unless I'm misremembering the episode, and maybe I've seen more than uh, this author, but I distinctly remember Wesley and Picard having this conversation. I'll have to see if I can ever find it again. And see if I maybe I misremembered it entirely. Okay, awesome. so here's here's something that should have been in this book. Um, I think I'm a super genius. Um, if he had put this in this book, instead of me having written it before I read this book, I would have said, um, boy, this guy's great. <laughs> right? Cause I see it when I, when I found this out myself, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a genius. And it means, uh, like I, I like the show a lot more. So I just sent a tweet to everybody oh, here. Wow. I say, wow, you, you got a point here, man. So let me read it. It says, Interesting design mirroring I just noticed in Star Trek The Next Generation's The Last Outpost, which is the first episode where the Ferengi are introduced. The Enterprise Bridge and the Ferengi ship, and there's a picture of both. It's the bridge of the Enterprise and the Ferengi ship that they're facing. So they're mirroring each other, right? They're looking at each other. The Federation is looking in a distorted mirror. And then the next tweet, I show the back of a Ferengi ship, which is mostly what they chase throughout the first part of the episode and they just see the back of it. They never see the front of it. And then what do we see? The bridge standing from where, I don't know, uh, Worf would stand, the tactical, right? And he looks out through the front view screen and it looks like they're, they look identical, that back display, right? And even the lines on the ceiling and the lines on the walls all seem to mirror. And then if you see the two ships side by side, they seem to be, sort of opposites, right? Looks like one's going backwards. Well, the cool part about thinking about it this way is when they when they first talk about it, uh, Riker explains to, or maybe it's, I think it's Riker explains to Picard, or somebody says to Riker, um, the only information we have about them is through some other species, and they're best described as, quote-unquote, Yankee traders, right? And then when... We see yeah. first time we see a Ferengi. Uh, what's her name? Um, Counselor Troy is, is sitting beside the captain, giving her advice as they used to do, you know, early on psychic advice about what's going on <laughs> behind the motivations of other people. Um, the image we see on the screen is a huge white background with a giant Ferengi face, super close to the camera, and they say humans or whatever, and he says, you're ugly, or whatever. And then uh, Captain Picard signals to mute and gets advice from Counselor Troy and says, 
um, their image is distorted somehow. <laughs> the the projection is distorted somehow. I'm like, okay, I got it. <laughs> Roddenberry, what a great job, or whoever wrote this episode, right? What a great job. What they're doing is they're saying, Star Trek, Star Trek of this future is looking at us. We're looking at ourselves, the evil capitalists. This is mentioned in the book, and that's why you know he's right to point how out how important the Ferengis are in Trekonomics, because they are that mirror to us. And he's right also to point out that the Ferengi, uh, you know, when they are lecturing the humans, you know, we didn't do all the slavery that you did. And uh, that's the Paul Krugman part, right? He's saying, look, um, we just need to do capitalism nicer. <laughs> right? It's like a kind of... Um, and, and notice, as the... The years go by and the Ferengi are, you know, show up again, which is mostly in Deep Space Nine. It feels like they are doing that. It's like we can change ourselves just by showing our being in the, in the neighborhood and showing our goodness. We can lead by example. We can lead by example. And in the same way that, as he points out in the book, this is another good thing about the book. Um, he points out that the, the, the attacks that the show, the original Star Trek Next Generation, uh, original Star Trek show does on the Vietnam War are so subtle that it does tend to make its viewers think, um, oh, these are interesting ideas. And then when presented with real life facts, um, can use this argument. So m- fiction is incredibly important if it can address real issues. We are presented with arguments, usually propaganda arguments or social arguments from people in power. And if you don't have a defense against those things, you are subject to those things. Like you have to, it's like jujitsu or something, right? You have to know how to get out of a certain hammerlock or a certain leg pull or whatever kind of move it is. There are counters to all of these things, but until you're presented with them, you can't actually know even what what happened. You just suddenly find yourself knocked down on the floor. And so this this is what makes good science fiction. And that's what makes the show good, is that it's presenting us with sort of distorted mirrors that don't get us all upset about it. You know, there's no preaching, right? It's It's showing. And I think that that, like, that should should have been a whole chapter. What I just showed in this picture, it, right? it would have given it would have given uh, heft to the book for sure. Oh, just just as a side note for listeners, I did check, I did, did a little googling, and I wasn't crazy. In, indeed, at one point, Wesley Carson does talk about the Klingons joining the Federation, and there's apparently an episode where we see the Federation seal on a Klingon warship. But so apparently, they just retconned that backwards to okay. just allies. So. I wasn't crazy after all, which makes me feel good. Well, it was probably Roddenberry, you know, just being enthusiastic. But, yeah, um, the conflict uh, of the show isn't with the Klingons. And the, the Romulans don't even show up, I think, until the second season, right? Yeah, the, yeah, they also, yeah, the neutral zone, yeah. Like, it's very, it's very, it's very conflict-free. Um, so the conflicts tend to be about, you know, more subtle things rather than, what so you kill, catch, eye gouging and like all the horrible stuff that happens in Picard and like uh, like how would how would this book even be written <laughs> if he if he tried to do Treconomics two Picard and Discovery I don't think the oh, book would no. be very long 
three pages, yeah, I, maybe. Yeah, I think his thesis gets blown out of the water even more than already. He barely he barely touches the three Star Trek uh, movies that you know the J.J. Abrams movies. He basically dismisses them as entertaining. I don't think they're even that. Um, well, well, doesn't really I, talk I, about I, I Enterprise or Voyager. I mean, he could he, he can dismiss them on the basis that they're an alternate timeline. He doesn't. So, he doesn't even do that, really. No, right? but, but yeah, I, I know. But he he could have spent a few more lines saying, "Oh yeah, they're an alternate timeline, and economics didn't go the way." It he could have done a whole chapter. It's like, oh yeah, I could dismiss it in one uh, in two words. Red matter, done. Don't need to talk about it. Uh, okay, the science of Star Trek has never been great, but I mean, you could he he could have actually had set up like this federation, not quite the way it's. It is in our own timeline and gone a whole chapter about the three movies and how economics and politics of Star Trek clearly go very differently in the J.J. universe. And that's because of time travel meddling. Putting it, putting it together like a universe is, is overstating the case, I think. Um, uh, here's uh, here's my point. Again. Enterprise is barely mentioned in the show, um, uh, in this show, in this book. And uh, uh, was there any vo- is there a single Voyager mention? Yeah, he talks about the hologram. Oh, yeah, the hologram doctor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The interesting thing is, like, that is a situation where you would have a post-scarcity culture in a position of scarcity. They deal with that in some, well, quite a few Voyager episodes. Like, there's limited resources. Yeah, except they never run out of shuttlecraft. How come they never use the, the Maquis shuttlecraft? That bugged me so much. They always just have mm-hmm. to keep sitting there. They blow up a shuttle, and they seem to have another one. No matter how many they blow up, they just have another one. And they can't fabricate them. Well, so. maybe they can. Uh, who it doesn't well, well, say, they, right? They have to have the right raw material. They have, to, they have to have the right feedstock. I mean, they don't have the feedstock <laughs> to manufacture stuff. So. If they it doesn't get into it, that, they wouldn't, have the, they wouldn't have the issues that they have throughout the series because they're talking about limitations on food and things throughout the throughout the Voyager. Which is why they hire new. But, yeah, a lot of Voyagers dealing with like other cultures. Like, we need something from you. What can we give you? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. one where they they do they give like the Francis. libraries to this because mm. they had some information. Like that. I mean, if you want to talk about like he he does grapple with this intercultural trade. Like, how does the Federation trade with other cultures? And I think Voyagers a lot of. Material. Another another thing that came up. Uh, I was uh, like, I, I feel like I was studying for this book for a long time, you know, because I've been I watching Next that. Generation. <laughs> but even like, I, I decided, oh, I'll, I'll, I won't watch anything other than Deep Space Nine yesterday because I I'm focused on it, right? So I'm like, every episode there's something, there's something that is economics related. And for example, there's an episode where um, they're in the Quark's bar and they're shooting. Uh, darts at the dartboard or whatever and and uh quark says um to jake cisco how about this you you and my son or my nephew don't do the uh starfleet thing um why don't you collaborate on writing hologram holosuite holo programs there's a lot of uh, money to be made in them and he sort of indicates again for the sex book <laughs> um, that they should be, you know, the certain kinds, right? So, like, uh, fetish ones, right? I'm like, co- uh, let, uh, didn't, not mention in this book at all, as far as I can tell, copyright. Like, copyright is a thing that affects 
production and distribution. Very much so, right? Patents, he touches on a little bit, and I think that those are some of the best things he does, is talking about the, the uh, in this book, talking about the reputation economy. Uh, but he doesn't talk about, like, the episode where... <laughs> Where Bashir is up for a, a science prize, and it's basically their version of the Nobel Prize, and only old people get it, so he's not thinking he's going to get one, right? That reputation economy. Um, when in another episode in Deep Space Nine, he meets uh, Bashir meets uh, the valedictorian, right? And he was the salutatorian, and they. They never met before, and he thought she w- was snubbing him, but she actually didn't know what he looked like and was pointed out at a party as the wrong person. Right? She thought he was an Andorian, <laughs> so she didn't know that that he was here. Right? So this idea of of reputation is good, but what about those Holosuite programs? It seems to me that the Holosuite programs work the same way audiobooks and PDFs work with you and I. That is all of you and I. I find something I'm interested in. I present it to you. If you think it's good, you I get woofy, right? I get the Cory Doctor uh, version of money, which is, you know, oh, thank you so much for that great book. And if you think it's a stinker, that means my reputation goes down. But the cost to you is just the cost of clicking on it and seeing whether it's interesting or not. And that is not a, the kind of pay Quark is talking about. So he's implying that Holosuite programs are uh, at least somehow funded, if it's crowdfunded or whatever. Somehow somebody's going to make money for this, right? He did say something. He put in some throwaway line about um, credits yes. that, that aren't, weren't real. But that you know, because because the the mm-hmm. generation is in infinitely abundant, they hand out these these credits for people to I, I assume to, to use, deal with other economies. Yeah, yeah, yeah federation to deal with other economies. He I says it's it's I comedy. Bank. Yeah, that doesn't answer the transporter credit. No, and yes, nine. Oh, and that's that's my point. Is I don't think Jake Cisco is joking with his dad about this. I think it's more like UBI. Right. So it's almost like you have a certain amount of, um, there's a, a great book. I wish it was available as an audiobook or an ebook or something. Um, but it's a, it's a Mac Reynolds novel. I think it's called Utopia in the Year 2000, or it might be called, uh, Looking Backward uh, Again or something like that. Um, it's basically a spin on a book we've done already. And basically it says, um, the, the, the real problem now is there's not enough, really important work for people, right? And and the way their UBI system works, universal basic income works, it's, it's called guaranteed universal income in the book, um, is every month, oh, Commune 2000, thank you, Will. Um, every month you get money in your, in your uh, account, and if you don't spend it, it just goes out. So there's no accumulation, right? You can't build up, like... You still uh, lose it. Yeah, you can't build up your... Um, your stipend from your son Quark and uh, use those uh, funds to start, you know, investing in stocks. There is, there's nothing like that. Everything is use it. And if you don't have enough, so sad, but your friends will give you some cause they, it's more than enough. Right. So it's like a, it's an inability to collect cash 
all your cash is has a time expiry on it. And that is a solution to all sorts of problems of accumulating cash, right? Great idea. Um, that's not mentioned in, in Star Trek. It's not mentioned in this book, but it's a good speculation as to why there aren't guys flying around with their own ships, right? Like, one of the things you'd like to think is if you fail the Starfleet Academy, you could just go buy your own starship, right? Um, what about Harry Mudd? Well, the, again, there, there is a, this idea between, and he mentions in the book, between Next Generation and Star Trek, there's this, the replicator gap, right? So they're not full for full Trekonomics in the original Star Trek. They cool. they have what about Cisco's no, no, girlfriend? Cisco's girlfriend is a good example, right? Yeah, she's a trader. She is a trader. Um, she's a captain. He's only a commander, right? She's off uh, doing trade between countries or planets. There is obviously trade in, and he talks a lot about dilithium crystals, but. Yeah, those rare, those rare materials that can't be replicated or whatever. But, but, uh, what's her name? Um, the leader of, uh, Bajor, what's the, Kai Win? Right? She, she's all about, uh, we gotta get some agricultural products shipped off to other planets for trade because we wanna look good for the Federation, right? Um, there, there is no. It isn't. It, there's a combination of post scarcity and non post scarcity. There's a post scarcity in some things, just like our world, right? So one of the things we have is post scarcity food, not for everybody, but post scarcity food because all of us in the federation, right? But there's not post scarcity on housing, is there? God damn! If there was only post scarcity on housing, we'd all, uh, you know, not have to have roommates and. Uh, Mortgages and be worried about moving to a smaller place and you know being I, I, able to I pay our rent. I signed a petition in the '90s in New York City about justice for housing in, in, in a in a rally in Washington Square Park. It's like, yeah, this, it's a problem that we've wrestled with for a long time and haven't gotten any closer to. Well, well there are solutions. But what are we post scarcity on, Jesse? Food, audiobooks, probably yeah, clothing, but, but not right? Food. Podcasts, yeah, but not healthy food. I mean, I mean, and, food and knowledge. Cheap. Yeah. Right. Knowledge, food, and clothing. Probably. Very much close to we're we're so close to to uh, knowledge being post scarcity um, uh, or post access to it, right? Yeah. Um, that you know, I I can pretty much bring up anything that has been scanned, and hell of a lot's been scanned. It, yeah, because back in the seventies, I think it was seventies, Jerry Pornell said, "By the year two thousand, you'll be able to ask a computer any reasonable question and get an answer from the database of human knowledge." And he's right. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I could just Google just about anything, anything, and unless it's a super obscure technical thing, I will find it pretty quick. The skill, also a lot the, the thing, out there. the thing that actually makes it. Um, I was bragging to Evan about this, getting this PDF, right? <laughs> I was talking about how great my web foo is. The post-scarcity that we need to be training people to access is the way to ask the right questions to get the right answers, right? Yes. And Google, you know, it, it is doing a job on that, but they also have an agenda. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to use DuckDuckGo, but it's also not as good at some of these things. But on the other hand, it's, it's not Google, right? We we have to. It's it's not Google. That's its main feature. 
Bing is another Google, it's just shittier. Whereas DuckDuckGo is kind of trying to, I mean, they don't have the scandals that Google has all the time. They had one recently that, you know, they're delisting some torrents and uh, torrent sites and such like that. But that was um, very rare. Whereas Google, it's like every day they delist. Right? And they artificially inflate things and they depromote things. It's it's the algorithms that are going to kill us. Um, it, those are the things that are sort of preventing access to post scarcity knowledge, right? So he does he, he. This book could be really good if it was taken a lot more seriously, but I feel like it's it's very light. I guess that's good for a lot of people. It's much more disposable than I would have liked. Yes, it's way I mean, too yes, disposable. It was easy and fast to listen to and read, but the, as as we've said before, there's just there's not enough there there. No, it's unfortunate. I I will uh, I will ask um, uh, Evan when you get this book done, um, and we've all gone through it and criticized the hell out of it so it doesn't end up being as wishy-washy as this book. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna have to watch all of Star Trek first. <laughs> Just um, so I can pick on things. Like, why don't we uh, get Oliver Wyman to do the narration? <laughs> because uh, he knows how to pronounce Garrick now. And uh, Risa. <laughs> and he's good. He's good. He, even his Picard was pretty good. I need to find the middle ground between how I, how I normally do things. And, and this, yes. Some it, it needs to have I, like I a sarcastic to, like, bite. Whole podcast. I'm like five episodes on one novel. No, I love it. That I like it too, but it's not really publishable. But when I write, I find myself kind of doing too much. Well, we'll cut it down. And but I'll help you. But this is like the other side of it so i need some mean some middle ground oh and some mean as in being mean yeah yeah mean, some kind of middle ground yeah that we brought will back out of the woodwork way like. yeah <laughs> you talked mean. about meanness and i was like i'm mean <laughs> yeah and and not the like the average kind of mean right <laughs> yeah no 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 not like that at all uh, I think meanness no, is important. Not, sometimes it's important. It's not something you just throw away. Um, you know, I I I think Rom is too much like his mom, <laughs> or too well, too much too much like his dad is what I mean. But he, he yeah, uh, she their relationship is that he was made too soft, and that's why Quark can bully him. Right? He's too made too soft by his mom, who just loves him. It's it's uh, again another chapter for the sex book. Um, how uh, characters are raised. Think about um, think about how Riker had only a dad, and his dad was an asshole, mm-hmm. and so he reacts against his dad. But he's also a little bit like him in that he's you know he's got the swagger, right? Uh, I was thinking about how in <laughs> the sex book is going to be a really good book, Evan. <laughs> um, I was thinking about how um, how many characters on the show have family members and how their relationship works and how many siblings they have. So think about um, Counselor Troy and her mom, who's one of the best Star Trek characters ever. Um, she, wherever she shows up, the episode's good. I, I don't think there's a bad episode with her. 
Um, they have her getting space nine. But you'll, you'll no, no. I, I well, maybe I've already seen her there a couple of times, but she, you know, she's always getting senility of some kind and projecting her her, her emotions, telepathic, uh, making people fall in love with each other. And uh, the, those parts of the episode are not good. But what are good is the what what is revealed about you know this dilettante lifestyle she's a princess of ricks or whatever right she doesn't lead the the life of service that her daughter does she's always trying to chase after husbands right and and she uses the, the ambassadorship seemed to be like a way of uh it's like anybody can apply to be an ambassador rather than the way it works in, in real life right anybody can be an ambassador you just want to you know, go I think from never ship. See her actually do diplomatic. No, no, she's terrible at it. Right? <laughs> but the thing is, is yeah, there's like, no consequence. She's a dilettante. Rich, that's it. Yeah, she's a dilettante. She, uh, but her richness is is in her. You know, she, she knows she's broken, but she's broken in a positive way, right? So the relationship she has to um, a wharf's kid is wonderful, right? She's like a weird, sexy aunt. <laughs> for this little uh, kid who's half uh, human and half um, uh, Worfian. <laughs> Klingon. Yeah, you're right, you're right. He's a quarter human. Have you read Zimzadi, Jesse? No, I haven't, but I, I've heard a lot about it, so. It, 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 I feel qualified it, to speak. Probably about my it. favorite of the Star Trek novels. <laughs> it's basically, basically for listeners, basically it's set in the future. It's set about twenty years ahead of uh, Next Generation. Breaker is a broken down admiral on a crappy, on a crappy uh, space station. It turns out that Troy died, and he's been broken and broken about it ever since. And so he goes back in time via the gate from the, um, from of uh, the. Um, City on the edge of forever, forever to right. stop her assassination, and and there's also and there's also and there's also we also find out about how Riker and Troy first met, and there's a conversation between Troy and her mother, and her mother's controlling her life and telling what she has to do, and Troy said, "Well, when, I, when do I get to what to?" He's like, "Well, when you're a mother," and she says, "That's horrible." Hmm. So. I, I wish that book the gen- the gender book is is going to be very very rich. I think it, there's just so much there's so much there. There's so many different kinds of relationships that people have. Um, I feel like there there is a a great economics book to be taken out of it, but I don't feel this is that. I feel this is like this is it's like about a third, and maybe that's generous of what the density it should be. I didn't. I didn't think that at first, but I, 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 I eventually was like, "Oh God, I really wish he would get into the meat." Boy, there's only three hours left. When is the meat going to come? Yeah, yeah. Where, where's the, where's the steak? Yeah, it was yeah. very. Well, I think one one big mistake here in this book is like the Ferengi chapter. I think that's another chapter that ends up being weak because he kind of just ties it up at the end and say, "Well, the Ferengi became social democrats," but do they really? Like, if you actually look at the narrative. Of, of D Space Nine, you have basically the Grand Nagus is seduced by Quark's mom, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's a little bit more progressive on gender issues, and she convinces him to put 
Rom as a new Grand Nagus, right? So at the end of Deep Space Nine, the Ferengi have Rom as a Grand Nagus. And like my in my like fantasy kind of alternate universe, there's a universe where CBS didn't hire Alex Kirkspin to do Trek. And instead we got some we, we instead we get Grand Nagus Rom. We can set up a card, we get Grand Nagus Rom series. Yeah. Uh, I'm, right? I'm, yeah. I'm with and you. I think yeah, this keep going. Would keep going. So much yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, would, because this, there's no change in the culture and the society. The only change is Rom is now in charge. And yeah, there's some like reforms that were passed, right? Right to unionize or something like that. But you have a reactionary society, a sexist society, right? And you've got like a social democrat type who's running things. With a foreigner wife in a sexist society, <laughs> that would be. And then you got the whole fallout of the Dominion War, like Cardassian refugees or whatever. That would have been such a beautiful show, but it'll never be made, of course. Well, but I it mean, can actually explore also, this question like, of how do you actually affect change in a society that doesn't really want it? Because I, I imagine most people are like Quark. Mm hmm. Like, when you get to the end of Deep Space Nine, Quirk's like, I'm going to hold out. And, like, Ferenginar is going to change, but this, yeah, the old Ferengi society will last here in Quirk's bar. Yeah. I imagine that's how most Ferengi are. Yeah. And how would they feel about, like, a foreign wife of the Grand Nagus? As long as she's naked, it's okay. But she's not. <laughs> well, do you think Lita's going to walk around naked? <laughs> Lita's not going to be naked. Right? So... He kind of just, our author here just says, well, they became social democrats. But that's simple. It doesn't really look at the process. And it doesn't... It's simple. It's facile. Yeah, facile. We need more will on this. Yeah, yeah. So here's the, so I want to, uh, uh, like, uh, go back to analyzing the political position of this book. I know that Jesse has said that this is a liberal book, and I think that is a fair thing to say. But I think it's a, a particular school of liberal um, it's like where uh, uh, liberalism does like start to bleed into democratic socialism somewhere in this book. Um, uh, and I, so I think that's this guy's position, but it's like um, it's like the Fabian position. So if people are familiar with the Fabian society, it's a is a trend in British socialism uh, in the late 19th century. It still like technically exists, but it's not the same thing. Uh, and it's the idea that, uh, you know, like socialism is going to be ushered in by like the like uh, like kindly educated classes who are going to like prevent this uh, uh, revolutionary rupture from happening by uh, uh, being very smart and like <laughs> having the right values. Well, they and, think they're smart, uh, right? Right. But I mean, it's the same sort of thing here. Uh, I mean, that's that's the purpose of this book, right? It's this idea that like we can like educated people on board with abolishing abolishing poverty. That's how we're going to do it. Right, like, the, the subject position of this book is, like, I'm an educated reader. Like, obviously, like, uh, the educated reader in the United States is, like, kind of dumb, right? Like, like we're not, like, a very intellectual society. So, like, and, and this book has an American audience. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's why this book is, like, a little dumb is because it's just <laughs> written for, uh, like, the, like, American intellectuals, right? <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean that. I, I'm, I I'm not think you're right. <laughs> yeah, like uh, like Jesse said, this book is for Paul Krugman, right? <laughs> um, so he's like, I'm going to try to convince. Uh, uh, but 
uh, it, more than Paul Krugman, though, I think this is for the, like, I'm, like, uh, kind of a, a professional or civil servant or engineer or whatever, like, middle-class person, and I, like, really like Star Trek and I believe in science. Uh, and, like, this is a book that's trying to, like, push me into, like, uh, you know, embracing, uh, like, giving away... Uh, the government giving away free stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it's like, you know, it, it doesn't use the word socialism. It doesn't, uh, and it, you know, it doesn't need to for its purposes. But, uh, you know, I don't know if its purposes are going to work, uh, is what I'm uh, kind of trying to say is uh, uh, th- this position, like, it wants, uh, like, it's like we can, like, um, you know, like, talk to people. Like, it's like if, if rich people today owned a replicator, would they give it away? Mm. Would they give it away because of morals? I don't think so. No. And I, I mean, in the position of this book, and I, I do think he's right about what Star Trek is, though. Uh, that uh, the way that people act in it and the, um, like, that everybody's, like, an angel, so to speak. Like, that's, uh, that's like, built into it. Um, like that's part of the science fiction. Um, he, he, and, and I really like how he talks about how this hurts the drama sometimes. Um, uh, so, so, you know, I, I think that, uh, he's really onto something with this book, but I think this book's fundamental purpose, like, is like flawed. Uh, and like, it's just not going to work. And, you know, the problems that like we have with this book as like a rigorous piece of like, uh, right. To be that because of who its audience is, uh, because of what it's trying to do, um, uh, and uh, I really do think it's supposed to be a jumping-off point. But I just I feel like you could read the hey, book. You could do a Trekonomics like, podcast and and do and so like look. Uh, I'm just looking at the table of whatever you know episodes cited, and for Next Generation, um, he cites he cited 22 episodes, including. Uh, two episodes, uh, four of those episodes are two-parters, right? Or actually, uh, Unification, Chain of Command, Encounter at Farpoint, those are all separately counted. He didn't even do a full season of citations. I could, I could do a full season of citations on the first season, um, and have a bigger book than this. Um, and I, I would say a, a more interesting book, but I'm, I, I didn't think I was qualified a minute ago. Now, now I think I am, and that's sad. <laughs> like this should this is a very interesting topic, and it's a good topic because it's such a rich universe. Well, there's episodes that I watched just in the past 24 hours, just because they randomly showed up next in the sequence, right? That could have like informed this book significantly. So, yeah, I just watched I Mud. Right. Remember this mm-hmm. Paul mentioned yeah. it earlier. I, I mentioned Mud's where Mud wants to take over the Enterprise. He, he's he's like, exiled to this planet of androids. So right. This whole planet of robots, but they're not like data style. They're, they're just more they're more hive minded. They right? can't love. <laughs> and, and and Mud wants to like swap the Enterprise crew with the androids and fly off with the Enterprise. Right. And the Enterprise crew get down there and they're like kind of like this is awesome like um i think uhura is saying like wow you can download my brain into an android i can live forever. i can, I can be pretty and, forever and and uh mccoy's like this is the best like medical lab i've ever seen and scotty's and 
trust the engineering. Everyone's like into it. And Kirk actually says this. He says, like, like what will humanity be in a post-scarcity? He doesn't use the word post-scarcity, but he basically says, what will humanity be like in a post-scarcity society? This is the challenge that of this situation. <laughs> and it's resolved and everything, but it's... It's kind of thrown off as like, it's like a humorous episode, but mm. it's dealing with the issues of this book really profoundly. Mm-hmm. But did this guy not watch that episode? He or? didn't watch this episode. He didn't, that's he didn't right. do a watch through, I think. No, he didn't. No. Which, I, I mean, I, I would do if I was right watched every episode. I would watch every episode of Star Trek except Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even Discovery, although that would mess up his. If you're gonna if you're gonna write a, a serious book, you need to do your homework. Um, he did, he did some episodes, but, um, I'm just going to go through the chapters and what they're about, uh, the list on the table of contents here. Chapter one, money went the way of the dinosaurs. Uh, so that chapter is about the absence of money in Star Trek. Um, chapter two, why is everyone so worried about holograms taking over the universe? Uh, uh, that must be a quote from some episode. I do not remember that. Uh, the meaning of work in Star Trek society. That could be, uh, that is a whole book, really. And I, I've got a little set piece I can talk about there. Uh, T, T. Earl Grey Hot, the replicator. This is really important in the book. Um, I think, uh, a lot of the gravitas that the, this book has is just, it's all talking about the replicator. He's right about that. Uh, only a fool would stand in the way of progress, natural limits, and technology, technology substitution. I barely remember that chapter. Um, free riding and the negative externalities in a post-scarcity wor- world. This is the Garrett Hardin um, Tragedy of the Commons, I think, uh, chapter. That's the one where I only... Me- I think that's the only chapter where I only mentioned one episode. It's... it's Yeah, and it's a f- it's force the, of nature. Or something. I don't know. It's a terrible... Using warp. Yeah, it's much. a terrible yeah. episode in, in a number of respects. Um, I- but yeah, I understand I, what they were aiming for. He's, his judgment on it is correct. But, and, then, and, then, and then Star Trek kind of steps away from the implication of the episode. Yes. And then later they say, oh, yeah, they, we fixed it and then we can go as fast as we want. So as, as bold and interesting as the episode is, the, the, eventually the writers just walked away. It's like, nope, that wasn't a thing. That's gone. Don't worry. And it's implied that the whole rest of the galaxy is doing the same thing, which like how, why? It's like, why isn't this a problem anymore? Do you just give the technology away? They, they basically kind of retcon that whole episode into not existing, which kind of defeats his whole purpose of his argument. I mean, the wormhole's a better model of this, actually. And mm-hmm. Jesse, you tweeted on this not long ago. Like, or yeah. I don't know, you DM'd me about yeah. this. Maybe you tweeted it, too. It's like, why didn't the Federation just like immediately... Like, if they're an empire, a serious empire, so important. this is the Can- uh, Panama Canal or Suez. What the fuck happens when yeah, you got the Panama like Canal? You don't. You lock that shit down, right? That's what empires do. All the fights over Egypt, you know, all of World War II's North Africa campaign is is basically over control of two points, right? The uh, uh, Gibraltar and Suez. Because if you control those two points, you can tra- control the Mediterranean. This is why the British still have Gibraltar. This is why that Suez I, 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 canal. Well, they tried to get Suez in the 1950s, and yeah. Well, it, the Canadian the Canadian uh, what are they called? Um, peacekeepers were sent in there, right? Because right. we got to keep this shit locked down. It's why you know U.S. government is interfering 
in and, Egyptian and, elections, right? It's and, and and why and why it was so controversial when the United States pulled out of the Panama Canal. And Israel's tried to, you know, show flex in there. And it's, it's, it's incredibly important. So it, either it shows that the Federation is really goody two shoes, right? Um, and that they're not trying to, uh, enforce their will on anybody and they're willing to let a society develop or it's bad writing, uh, as a whole, or we just, Chalk it up to the fact that it, it, I think it's really interesting that uh, the setup of Deep Space Nine as a you know it's a non-important star base and then it becomes important because of the wormhole. Um, I, I if this was you know real politic, they would have kicked Benjamin Sisko out of there and and shoved uh, you know an admiral in. Uh, and at, uh, at least, and, and there would be. And to say nothing about Section Thirty-One. I mean, we see Section Thirty-One becomes a big thing in DS Nine. So when this wormhole popped up, why wouldn't Section Thirty-Nine move heaven and earth to get the whole Bajor system under Federation control? Because that's it. Because they're supposed to be doing about existential threats to the Federation. A wormhole to the Delta Quadrant is an existential yeah, threat to the Federation. Yeah. Well, that's so, uh, there's one so of the episodes they, I just watched. Yeah, so why didn't Tal Shiar and the Tal Shiar and whatever the uh, Romulan version of? Oh no. Talshiar and the Obsidian Order get together to attack the Dominion, right? And the Dominion uh, had a shapeshifter on board, and it's all, you know, reversed, and it's a great defeat. Um, they There is a real politic going on. It's like the Federation is like, eh, we got a bunch of... It feels like once you get promoted to Admiral, you, they give, like, in that same episode, they gave... Uh, uh, Ben Cisco, an order not to use the uh, the uh, defiant to you know go in and rescue their um, <clears throat> security officer Odo in the Gamma Quadrant or whatever, right? They said, "Don't do it," <laughs> and then they go. He just just says, uh, uh, "I want volunteers on the defiant by thirteen hundred hours," right? And it <laughs> just goes goes and does it, and then he says. Uh, this, uh, one security officer who we'd seen one episode, you know, in the season earlier, um, he actually betrayed them and turned off the, the cloaking device. And Ben Cisco says, don't do that again. <laughs> Doesn't like lock him up. He says, I, I should put you in the brig. Um, and he says, uh, you know, well, I was under orders. <laughs> and then, O'Brien has to work for like eight hours. He's really angry. <laughs> Comes back, fix, fix, fix the thing. And then when they get back to base, you know, and everything's okay except for the fact that the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order are completely wiped out in quote unquote like Wolf 359 or whatever. Um, that same, uh, Admiral gives, um, gives, uh, Cisco a dressing down saying, you know, you disobeyed my order. If you do that again, I will have to court martial you or promote you. And that's like the, the way of getting out of it, right? Like, really, it, it, it's, uh, it could be a way of reading the, the Federation is like orders. Uh, and this is, uh, there was a book I was reading. It wasn't this book, but it was a Star Trek related book somehow, uh, or maybe it was online somewhere. It was pointing out that, yeah, orders are sort of not mandatory. It's, it's everybody thinks for themselves in Starfleet. So if, if um, you are given an order and you think it's a bad order, you should disobey. You should disobey it because you've been trained properly to think for yourself, right? 
Now, that's not the way military works at all. If you if you disobey, you're fucked, especially if you have no power, right? Especially if you're a lower rank guy. But it seems to be like in this world they've constructed, you know, Kirk can uh, yeah, it was maybe it was in this book. It was uh when Kirk disobeys uh the order for blowing up something in Star Trek 3, they go back to save the Earth and uh they demote him to captain, right? Which is <laughs> Or Star Trek Four. Media was talking about that. Uh, yeah, may, may, yeah, yeah. He like stole the ship, blew it up, blew up the Enterprise, and right? Broke all these regulations. and yeah, and but just he, disobeyed but direct knew, orders. Uh, like he knew he, he figured out the whales. So right, and so he's he saved, well, he saved, he saved the Earth. So so <laughs> so forget about those those crimes he did. Um, and and the thing is, is that is actually what we want. We want the people at the top not to be in full charge. If you look at primitive societies, there's a, I think this is a, uh, one of those Jared Diamond books. He talks about how the relationship of regular people in primitive societies to their quote unquote leaders is that those are the people that they, everybody makes fun of, that they mock because they want to put on that f- fancy headdress and parade around telling people how to do stuff because they can't enforce it. Right? They can only enforce what the people are willing to do. But once you get a guy who somehow thinks that the guy above, above, above him is actually better than him, and he can, it, 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 it makes, it makes it like, um, uh, all power comes from the barrel of the gun, the Mao will the line. Mao quote, yeah. Right? I think Will brought it up. Or maybe it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was on Twitter or something recently. But all power comes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of the fundamental, like, right. like, you know, like political principles of the 20th century, right? Like, power flows from the barrel of a gun. Oh, well, you know what it was? There's another podcast I listened to. It's really a great podcast. It's called the Golan Globus Theater. Um, you, you'd like their politics, Will. I really like. I think they're hilarious. They're from Detroit, so <laughs> they have a lot of axes to grind. They talk about old movies, and they they were watching some movie like Bloodsport. It wasn't Bloodsport, but it's, you know, like kickboxing movie or whatever. And the movie starts with a quote, quote, uh, all power comes from the barrel of a gun. <laughs> Even though it's a, <laughs> it's a kickboxing movie. <laughs> it's, I mean, it kind of works, but uh, yeah, what are you doing practicing that? <laughs> Kicking people <laughs> if all that comes from the barrel of a gun. It's a great point. Um, but if, if you have a force of police that you can command to do stuff, um, you are in charge if they obey your orders. And it seems to be like in the F- Star Trek Federation Starfleet system, you can basically do anything you want um, and not get in trouble. Right, because because maybe there's they'll just assign you to a a starship that is doing busy work, <laughs> like shuttle these uh, these uh, self sealing stem bolts to this planet on the edge of the solar system. Well, keep well, keep well, these yeah, guys out of trouble. That's the whole premise of Inzadi. I mean, Riker's been kicked upstairs to a backwards out of the way space station where he can't do any harm because he's a he's a cock up after. Troy dies. So right. Like, is, there must be plenty of places that are so giant. We, we need to figure to out. We need to figure out a way to do that in our society. Where, um, I mean, uh, uh, that's kind of what 
Trump, why Trump was a good president, I know this is a funny thing oh, to God. say, right? is because he was so incompetent, he couldn't get much done. You know, he can't start any new wars. You know, <laughs> he can't, like, repeal many laws. He can repeal some regulations. Uh, but nothing really that anybody was really upset with in the system, right? What they didn't like was they were sort of, he was taking away the mask. And so the idea of, of, you know, you kick, you kick your clown class upstairs and then take away their actual powers. This is an amazing idea. And it is a consequence of a lack of work, right? If you, if you don't have anything to do all day, you could be an artist. Or I think, I was thinking about, um, an episode that should have been mentioned in this book. Remember, there's an episode of Next Generation where Picard thinks he's meeting his son um, because some Ferengi wants revenge. And the, eventually the Ferengi said, you know, you're doing wrong because you're not doing it for personal profit. What? We were tricked, says his crew, right? And it turns out that this, this guy who Picard had killed his son um, had uh, genetically manipulated this kid uh, so that he had the genes of Picard, um, you know, when it was bioscanned or whatever, but actually he was not his son. And when Pic we go to visit him, he's like rock climbing underground in some cave system, and he's a petty criminal. Um, he has no, you know, he's between jobs, but of course it doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> because he lives in a post-scarce society on some, um, you know, federation colony world that is an uh, like the fact that he can you know be bumming around uh europe or whatever the, just you know getting into trouble and there's no consequences to him that's i think the majority of the federation citizens lives right jake cisco can write novels that he sells literally sells for no money it's a metaphor he says right <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna get a fellowship to a university in Wellington, uh, New Zealand, ah. Uh, but he's gonna stick around and read, you know, uh, ha hang out on the starbase and get more experiences, so he has something to write about. But the writing career that his dad is so proud of is not a cash career; it's a lifestyle career, right? He can go around boasting to his friends, "I'm a professional writer," and what he means by professional is that. Uh, some publisher, quote unquote, paid him with no money <laughs> yeah. to read his book. book yeah. And, and I think about how the phrases that we have in our language, like learning the ropes, there's all these nautical phrases that are in English. It's because English spread all over the world. All these nautical phrases are in our language. A lot of the stuff that they're talking about could be interpreted like that, right? Um, that's he, also its original meaning. And, and it, it, well, it, it has it locked in there deeply, but I, I always think about like how if they're on the Enterprise and they're playing that weekly poker game, um, it doesn't really work if those chips have no consequence. I played poker when the chips have no consequence and there's no, there's no meat, there's no purpose to playing that. Like it doesn't make any sense, right? Because you can always just all in on every move, right? <laughs> there has to be some some risk, and the, what's the risk? I'm, I'm not much of a gambler, but yeah, if there's if there's no sting to gambling, then yeah. Like I've if they tried, were if they were playing, playing for video games, if yeah. they were playing for uh, holodeck time, right? 
if there was a scarcity of holodecks, holodeck time, you know, uh, th- then there there would be definite consequence. Oh God damn it! I don't want to go on your stupid Sherlock Holmes thing again. Can't we play something else this week? Right? Well, there definitely is scarcity in holodeck time. There's like there should be yeah holodecks on the Enterprise and a couple thousand people on the. You get, Here's the thing: like all the teenagers on the on on the Enterprise, they're like first in line at the holodeck. Yeah, when it opens and day, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're gonna need some kind of man. Like, there's no way Picard can just like, oh, Luoxana is on board. I got to run to the holodeck. Yeah, there's no, there are no lineups. You notice like, they're never no, a lineup. He, realistically, he's gonna get there, and like the teenagers are gonna be like making out <laughs> on the holodeck. Right? <laughs> with other holo- holograms, not each other. No, no, or, probably with each other. I mean, I mean no. <laughs> have, you seen the movie, have you seen the movie Ice Pirates? Yes, a long time ago. I, I'm thinking of the scene where where the where, where the two lead characters get into this like virtual reality thing and have sex on a beach. I mean, I'm sure the holodeck is used for that. They, teenagers yeah. go and make out in some. Oh yeah, sure, right? certainly. But but the majority of the holo addiction will be more like Barclays kind. No, I think Bark. I think no, because I think Barkley is an exception to the rule. If you look at the number of characters on the show who are sing- uh, who ha- were single children, right, and the number of characters on the show who only had one child, right, it's huge. Now we can extrapolate and perhaps you know uh, say that there are other parts of the world that are not like Japan's dwindling population, other parts of the Earth or Federation that are not like that. But the Vulcans ain't having that many kids, despite what Discovery might have said, right? It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, or Star Trek V, right? <laughs> it's pretty slim pickings. Um, the, the, these are definitely sex, sexually, uh, declining in population. Uh, just based on, you know, think of all this, the bridge crew. Um, Worf has one brother, right? Um, Deanna has no siblings. Riker has no siblings. Uh, Data has a sibling. <laughs> Two siblings, if you kept them. Um, I guess uh, Picard has a sibling. Right? It's not like... it's not like, uh, And the ones that have... A, uh, Deanna Troy has a kid. It's an alien baby, and it dies. Uh, or disappears in <laughs> one episode. Deja also has a but, kid, but it... it yeah, it dies. Up. Right? And uh, Worf only had the one kid. Book, Jesse, there's mm-hmm. still a lot of sex going on. There's like a throwaway quote. Lots of sex. Like, that Worf gives in the first episode where he's like, they're talking like it's it's kind of a nice scene. I forget which episode it is, but it's definitely first season. And like, I think it's, it's when Jordy's on the bridge. Mm-hmm. That first season, right? He's talking to Worf and Worf's on the bridge. And they're both red shirts at that point, right? <laughs> and they're they're talking back and forth. Well, I guess in red shirts in Next Generation are command, right? But yes. before Jordy was and and, and Worf got their new roles, right? Yeah, before yeah, after yeah, Tasha before, died, whatever. So they're talking about basically they're talking about sex in some way. Maybe it was someone else, but it's Worf definitely. And they're like having shore leave, and and you know, he Worf says something like, "Human women are too like, weak for me." Yeah, well, you know, you're they're really, soft. Human women are I like, can't handle 
what I offer. Yes. And it's like he's talking from experience, right? Yes. He was raised with humans, right? He, well, or, or you know, he's had stories of Worf's like college years. Worf the college years. I love it. Right. And then later, remembering <laughs> in, next gener- in DS9, when Worf has the uh, relation with, with Dax, you see Dax, af- after they're obvious about the sex, Dax is injured, and Worf is also injured because Dax apparently gives as good as she gets, which is, I thought, was hilarious. That yeah. <laughs> So apparently she can keep up with with Warp and then some. I uh, there was no problem. Asri remembers all that stuff because, like, first chance she gets, she she's all over Warp too. I I was listening to uh, I, I I have a hate listen. The our opinions are correct uh, podcast. Oh, oh please 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 don't because they are my friends and you you're gonna make me feel bad that having tried oh, to. Sorry, Paul. I mean mean is what I am. Um, so they did a show this week on birth control in the future, um, which is an interesting topic. Um, the 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 only thing that was really interesting in it was the way of talking about males and females. Um, there was egg people and sperm people, <laughs> and I was thinking like Star, the way Star Trek deals with birth control is they don't talk about it, right? Um, but I was thinking about how you know if um, if Troy is, um, you know, on the pill, does she go to, you know, they have their yoga meetings. Does she go and, like, get an IUD? Or, like, how does it work, right? Um, what about Riker? Is he, uh, is he's, you know, got an on-off sterilization pill? Um, because, you know, he's having sex with, you know, beaming down to planets and green ladies and, you know... Uh, ambiguous gender neutral Pirates folks isolates that's my favorite what, 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 like which one there's an episode where they run into like this colony they got split up like one colony oh yeah the irish and one colony didn't so the right. colony they get the tech ended up like irish yes they ended up irish <laughs> reason. that's right and they 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 beam them up the the ship and they all like up their and she's catholic of course so. in charge of the mineral <laughs> drum it is a good episode <laughs> and like Immediately, this woman like bangs Riker. Like, yes, in five minutes into the episode. Yes, she just goes to his quarters and takes off her clothes. Uh, yes, yeah, she's and in charge. She wants what she wants. The she heart wants, wants what the heart wants. And that, that's a good episode for the sex book. It is a good episode yeah, for the sex book. It's about like how. But Riker isn't worried about it. It's like there's this other high tech Amish. It's like a weird high tech Amish. It's like they're. But Riker isn't worried about you know impregnating her, right? That's like the Amish problem. But they're also low. They're also high tech, which isn't the Amish problem, right? I I don't think we're going to be dealing with pills that far into the future. I think it's going to be more like you're turned off, like your hormones. Yeah, well, you take a pill or you get a subdermal, like like. Whatever the doctor like with with a hypos thing. Okay, right. you're off when you're ready to ha- when you're ready to to reproduce. I'll turn you back on. That's and, right. You know. So there isn't a scene in in, in that episode where where um, Troy gets uh, alien baby where she says to the doctor. Um, that's an in, that's an interference by alien. Yeah, no, a, definitely, definitely. You know, but they have the alien. they have the conversation. Uh, you know, how is this possible? Um, but they don't say. Abortion. I think they have an abortion conversation. Oh yes, uh, I think Worf says yeah, he's pro-abortion. Like I tweeted about this. Abort this kid or something. Worf, Worf says we need to abort it. 
Absolutely. And she says, it's my child or whatever. Um, so there, there are, there are a lot and a lot of sexual things that are explicitly, that's what the episode is largely about and the relationship. So, so, so it's going to be a very as big as book. As the contraception thing, I just, I, I just went in and checked the, the, the uh, original series episode, The Paradise Syndrome. Remember, Kirk winds up losing his memory. He's on, an, he's on a planet with humans in a primitive society, and he does get the woman pregnant. Oh, yes, the Indian lady. Yes. Yes. Um, that, that is, uh, I guess that's the pre, uh, pre on off switch. Yes. <laughs> or ma- yeah, maybe that's, that was when the, that's when they still no uh, he had a son a too but no he has a son too that he didn't know about right so clearly he right. just never right. he he's right. wants yeah. to spread those space seeds yeah yes <laughs> that's cool. the contraception <laughs> thing comes up in the hand of gideon too which is mentioned in this book oh god yeah, that's right that that yeah. that that's really trying to criticize because that's the same year i think or around he does a nice takedown of that book church said the pill is is bad sadia does a very nice job of taking down the doomsday clock book what's it called that so they come out with this population bomb that's right yeah, well, that, uh, what a terrible... Uh, see, that's exactly what's wrong with with the intellectual media, right? Is that they took that book, this population bo- uh, book, bomb book, and said, this, this, this! And they dance around their head, holding the book up, and this, 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 this! It's like, well, yeah, but did you look at the numbers? Did you look at actually... You know, it, it, it was written based on a feeling. It absolutely it's not borne out by anything this is so common with very popular intellectual uh media people like they they seize on a thing and they say this 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 and then they run around telling all their friends about it and then you know china places its one child policy on on this sort of concern what's the good thing about the book that it does, I mean, it's kind of like beating a dead horse, like Malthus, but they're mm. still around, so you have to see, keep beating them. The Malthus <laughs> they, Keep they, beating they those dead back. horses. So, that's a value of this book. It, yes. It does have a pretty good argument against the Malthus. Do you, uh, have any of you ever read the 80s popular book by Isaac Asimov and Frederick Pohl, Our Angry Earth? Yeah, I've not read it, but I know about it. No. Yeah, and, and he does mention, they do make an argument at one point, yeah, that the Earth's population should drop down to one billion. I remember reading at a time it's like, how? Oh, no, he's not wrong. They're not wrong. Well, I think we might get there in a, like, it might be a couple centuries, but... Yeah, it's just... Like, like, eventually the demographic transition will move to a stage of declining birth rates. So... Looking forward to it. That's a long-term, yeah, it's It's, like... Well, it's not as long as you think, so... Mm -hmm. I showed my students this chart in the Human Geo when we did population that it took the United States and the UK about a hundred years to go from a fertility of six to three. I mean, women had six kids to three kids. It took them about a hundred years. It took like China. It took China ten years to make that same leap, and it took Iran like five years or six years to make that jump from six kids to three kids. It's like. The problem in the in the next decades is going to be too few people. Not mm-hmm. Any. Mm-hmm. Well, like that's Japan's what Japan's the suffering Japan really from. Is yeah. The future. yeah, and we're going to have to like endure that. But 
Oh, we'll figure it out. I think I think a one billion population in a couple centuries is not an unplausible population future. Yeah, eventually. You just don't need to work on it. Let it work itself out. That that was not the problem. <laughs> that yeah. was not the issue that we needed to be so worried about. Um, but yeah, I, I was thinking about uh, the Ferengi. Um, if all the Ferengi women are disempowered, right? And we, we actually see lots of counter evidence to that in Deep Space Nine when uh, uh, there's an episode that uh, Quark falls in love with a, a transsexual. Um, I don't think she really was. No, she was just pretend. It was no, like she, uh, Twelfth she was Night. Totally as a man. Yeah, she's, yeah, so it's like Twelfth Night, right? But yeah. what, what's the word for that? Transsexual? Cross? No, because no, no, because it was it wasn't cross dressing for fun. It was cross dressing for, for she was passing as a well. She had like fake ears, right? <laughs> She's trying to pass as a male, um, because okay, she yeah, could. So, but yeah, like remind me about the details of the episode. Like, to what extent did she like identify with like the she was she was she like, was definitely no, I mean, I, female. I it's like an important question. She like, was definitely female. She was uh, she was sexually aggressive towards Quark. Um, who, and Quark found himself attracted to her, and he thought that that was weird. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't so much that um, uh, he's uh, anti-gay as um, he was like, uh, "We should be doing business, <laughs> not that kind of business." But she she was attracted to his lobes, right? His, his, but she herself was good at it. And so, if if you've got a, a planet full of women who are locked up, uh, or maybe not locked up, but locked out of, you know, shopping for clothes, um, and they're not allowed to do business, um, they're just raising babies. This sounds like the population should be massive. The Ferengi, you know, maybe the Ferengi birth rate is generally low, so having two kids, Ram and, and uh, Quark, is, is like, exceptional. But if the Ferengi are controlling women's bodies, or female Ferengi bodies, um, then their population should be more out of control, right? And there's no evidence for that. So it's probably not really well thought through, uh, but I haven't seen all of Deep Space Nine, rewatched it again, that is. So maybe there's something that'll pop up there. But that sort of thing is... Yeah, probably not. But that sort of thing is like... Is it's sort of done for laughs, right? At the that that's why the Ferengis don't they show up as a menacing villain with whips, which is uh, very off-brand for them later. But that whips fitting with the idea that there's slavery, and in fact, um, uh, the episode where Quark's mom, her his Moogie, is um, is going to be up on charges and perhaps sold into indentured servitude, right? Which is slavery. Um, it, there is a kind of um, oppression, and the oppression is cultural rather than religious. Right? They, they're, they don't. That is addressed in this book a little bit. They don't seem to have a religion, right? Whereas you know the uh, Bajorans are basically worshiping all day long, and you know they got prophets for every day of the week. Um, it, it, there's even a Thanksgiving episode, by the way, of, uh, <laughs> of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I, I mean, they don't call it Thanksgiving, but it's it is Thanksgiving essentially. Um, well, um, I think a lot of all of that 
is because it's, it's episodic and it's done season by season. Like nobody, if 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 a if a series like this was written seven seasons right off the top, then you're going to have then all of these things are going to be addressed. Mm-hmm. But but you can't. This the way the way that yeah, the, 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 this is created. Yeah, it's it's bit by bit by bit, and then sometimes you have to re- recon it and and mm-hmm. um, fill it in. So. You know, but it would well, be but very, we very can interesting to see one done. But we can we can see the you know they plant the seeds early, so the the, the Bajorans are religious straight from well, the no, no, I don't straight mean about from the, the Bajorans, top. But I mean something like the Ferengi. Yeah, is there a population issue on Ferenginar? Um, we can extrapolate. Uh, obviously, that you know they're numerous, but they're not you know they're not everywhere. And what there, there's uh, the other thing that's kind of ridiculous is they seem to be matched for the Enterprise. Uh, I mean, this is for that episode where we first meet them, right? Their ship is equal in power to theirs, right? Their bridge is identical to the shape of the ship, right? It is a mirror. But later on, we don't think about Ferengi warships as being powerful, right? Uh, and I'm still not clear what a daemon is. <laughs> I know what a nagus is, or grand nagus is. Um, but I, I need, uh, I need, uh, all that stuff should have been in this book. Right, he should have been reading all of the, all of the uh, trek trek books. Like Paul was mentioning, Mzadi. There's tons of them with Ferengi. Uh, I've read some of them myself. I think there was a Rules of Acquisition audiobook that was read by Armin Shimmerman. Ooh, cool. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it probably was incomplete because the show was still going at the time. But 285 Rules of Acquisition. Come on, and commentaries. It's it's fun stuff. That should have all been in here. And he, he is excited about the Ferengis, and he's right to be so, but this book is is kind of long for a book that is so short on Ferengi stuff. Right? Yeah. In chapter 8 is Ferengis, inter, interstellar capitalists, but the whole book should have been, half the book at least should have been Ferengis, and maybe, you know, third replicators. Because they're the exception. They're the thing that, you know, uh, I mean, may- maybe you can go to ra- down the wrong direction talking about what Latinum is worth and all that stuff. But uh, the Hall of Sweets are no joke, right? That is an a irreplaceable good. It's the only place on the on Deep Space Nine. If you want to do Hall of Sweets shit, I don't think there's a holodeck on, uh, on the Defiant, is there? <laughs> No, it's too small. <laughs> or maybe there's a hollow, hollow uh, bunk. <laughs> Not even a hollow. Yeah, there's no room for even that. When you're in the fight, you're on hard duty. Right. So uh, there has to be a access ec- economy. Otherwise, you're like Riker in that early episode, he's sitting in his in his office watching women play harps on a little hologram. <laughs> That's their only other. And there's no TVs, right? Nobody's watching TV. They read books. They read books. Or they go to the holodeck. That's it. No, they go to a chamber music or watch Beverly Crusher put on a play. Right? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you, you a, talk about, he didn't get into the into the, uh, the, the reputation economy one of, 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 of those little things. It's like, like what, what is the value? I remember, mean, why, are they going there because they like her or do they like the stuff? There's a, Cap, when Captain Jellicoe comes on the ship and replaces oh God, Picard. I love the Jellicoe because he's it's, such it's, an it's, asshole. But one of the things he does, and we think it's because he's an asshole, 
But think about how efficient it is. He changes the rotation from three shifts to four shifts. So instead of having, I I thought about this a lot at the time. Instead of having three eight-hour shifts, right? Um, This is how cops do it too, right? They have the morning shift, the evening shift, and the night shift, right? Right. Um, Instead of having three eight-hour shifts, they have four six-hour shifts. Well, now you get a lot more people who are not on bridge duty doing bridge duty, which will bring up the number of trainees, you know, more training. Also, um, we'll give people more leisure time. Um, the fact that he is doing that on his ships means he is utilizing his crew in a different way. He can have a bigger crew. This is something that is a serious issue in a society where you have post-scarcity. You need to have people have meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And there and isn't equal access, yeah. right? There isn't, as we see in episodes where Picard falls in love with his stellar cartographer, um, there's not equal access to the uh, sensor array, right? The deflector dish for doing long... It's a limited resource. It's a limited resource. Anytime you have that, um, she has to use her woofy and her sexual prowess to try and convince... A Picard to like her so that she can get in with Riker to, right? Or this is what Riker's worried about, and this is what Picard's worried about. But when Jake Sisko's buddy Nog comes in to, uh, to, um, uh, the commander's office and says, here's, uh, some gold pressed latinum, I want to be your, uh, your, um, your, uh, apprentice. apprentice. Um, so, and you can write me a nice letter to Starfleet Academy. He seems to have done the research and that symbolic thing. Notice that he doesn't give the money back, right? But he doesn't want it, but he doesn't give it back. It's so not a concern that there's a bribe because the only way to be bribed is by your, uh, your earnestness, your impress, your, you know, oh, this kid really does really want this thing, right? He really does it. And that, that giving that ridiculous gift that seems to be useless to him, except for maybe, maybe in Hall of Sweet Time. But really, Quark pays the station rent. So what's going on, right? Not addressed in this book. Come on, man. Yeah, we need that. So, yeah, 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 cool, yeah, cool, yeah. Again, as you said, that he talk. He doesn't talk enough about the Ferengi and. And too much. Yeah, and too much. And Their interactions things. with the Federation are a way of understanding. What I, I, I is going on? I tried Googling it and I couldn't find it. But I seem to remember a thought way back in the first in the next generation where there was a thought that we're going to flume an episode where they fly to the Ferengi planet and just replicate tons of gold and destroy their economy. Gold because I tried Googling it, I couldn't find any reference yeah, to it. I don't. But it makes sense. It's like, okay, okay, the Ferengi want gold? Here's all the gold you want. There. You well, that's an act of war, it. though. Right. What? That's an act of war. That's it, traditionally yes, an act of war is to debase war, the value of. But the Frank would be so. Uh, the, the financial system. Yeah, it would be. It, would be it is an act. It, literally, well, it's well, one of the well, things that. Want to do that? That. Huh. It, I mean, sec, I mean, six and thirty. I mean, I guess that because the Frank turned out to be. They weren't around yet. Yeah, they they weren't invented for the plot yet. They weren't invented yet, but they were around. Well. We'll see. I, I mean, the Frenchy were a real threat. Okay, so you, you basically do economic warfare against them, and that ends the Ferengi threat. But they, they never turn out to be a what threat. What kind of a threat are they, really? What? what kind of... Yeah, they, they, they weren't a threat so much. No. They're not they a threat at all. They were intended to be, initially. 
No, but they, but they, they, I don't know what's be, like kind of made of Section Thirty One though. That's I think one of the tragedies. That, like even Enterprise, like even though they didn't do much of it, there was like one episode or two episodes. But even they talk about Section Thirty One way back when Starfleet was just formed. Yeah, so it's always like, Discovery. Like how how anyone later on would think Section Thirty One is like like it's still ambiguous, like hidden, right? Right, it's it. Um, but so, in Discovery, it's it's, it's not really worth talking war. about. It's like fighting a war against like Starfleet. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it 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 goes to go, reminds me of the Nip and Pornell novel Inferno, where Mussolini tells the main character every society has secret police. That's true. I remember reading at this. Oh, I was like, yeah, it is. Damn, true. it is true. Harsh. <laughs> Paul's learning all sorts of harsh lessons this week. I learned that 25 years ago, but still, I was like, damn! And I thought about it, it's like, I think they're right. They are right. Oh, God! What does that say about America? And tell me. Well, that was 25 years ago. That I got that. <laughs> no, the good news is all their their new secret polices are uh, all also, there's been many new ones since then, right? They get a Homeland Security and uh, what's the border yeah, one called? Oh. But that's some of them might be head by women. Oh yay! I I want to be drawn by women. <laughs> I I feel like I I, if she's a lesbian or a transsexual, even better. Um, Just as long yeah, as yeah. I'm drawn by not a white man. That's the important part. I don't want a white cisgendered man to drone me and my family. <laughs> but as long as I'm killed by a, a woman of color, a person of color, it'll be fine. I'll be good with it. I killed the show. I think we're, I <laughs> yeah, think we're well, good uh, news, I'm, I'm Jesse, because the, the next head of the CIA is black, so, you know, you can... The last one was kid. a woman, and she was a torturer. Come on. How how do you not... Well, Gina Haspel, how do you not want to have her? She was a woman. Don't you want to see women empowered? Um... <laughs> To torture people. Do, do, do you have anything more to say about this book? Because it's now noon. No, I think we're done. Right? Unless Will Will is so quiet. Uh, no, I I think I like I, I think I got my point across about this book. I basically think it's like, um, you know, he gets a lot of things about the series right. I think, but I think this book was just doomed to failure because of what it's trying to do. Well, for the audience, it's it's talking to it did it probably it's why it was successful. I think. It seems to yeah, be a successful I, book. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like a successful book, but I don't think it's like going to accomplish its goal of like, uh, you know, like pushing the ball down the road. Towards, <laughs> is that is uh, that what it was? Was that what is really attempting to accomplish, or is that its stated goal? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm taking it at face value here, and uh, and I shouldn't, uh, but uh, uh, you know, I'm sure he also just really liked talking about Star Trek. Uh, who doesn't? It's great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> It was an. Ex- it was I think an ex- he should have watched a little bit more. Story. Dude, he could have watched. He could have rewatched a lot of episodes and made some goddamn notes, because this book could have been really good. Yeah, isn't the isn't the like thing in the French Academy that you like brag about not doing the reading? Oh no, really? Oh, that's sad. 
It's like a. It might that might just be in philosophy, but it's like a. It's a. It's a posturing thing you do. You actually oh. do the reading, but you pretend not to. Oh, I kind of. I kind of like that, but I. I don't like the. Uh... <laughs> I, no, I, I, I don't understand tragic. it. No, no. <laughs> it makes it more tragic. Very subtle. That our audiobook reader is staying up at night because he misspelled Garrick. He's still <laughs> over it. He, 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 he does. reputation economy. He made a bunch of mistakes, and he's just like fine, whatever. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. I don't like making mistakes. I don't. I, no, I, no. I, I if the, the, absolutely. And I make them, and they're they're public. I have a podcast. I yeah. Books. I mean, I I, I called you out on one recently. What did I What did I say? I you don't would, like it. I don't like it. I said and you you had done wrong. What did it was on some H.P. Lovecraft episode? You said I, you said I fan, I, fan I, service. Fan service. How dare you, I, sir? I That's back. a lie. Color Out of Space episode I take back. Good. I, I don't think it was Color Out of Space, but it was something. It was something like that. What? It is related. And, and uh, mind you, fan service, to, uh, after looking it up, mostly seems to be about sex. Huh? I, that's an easy mistake for Ingrid's. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few here. No, there's that. There's definitely mistakes in here. He uh, looking. He does do a, a decent number of Deep Space Nine episodes. It's not you know significantly different from the Next Generation in the citations. But Voyager, we get like one, two, three, four, five, six. And it's one, all about the Doctor. Yeah. Two Enterprise. Enterprise has some good stuff to talk about actually, like slavery. Geez, the or the Orions are pretty prominent in Enterprise. Mm. Yeah, well, that's um, that's uh, slavery is something you do uh, if if you are involved you in economics. The second season of Enterprise, it seems. Um, what did you make about the idea of him? Uh, this whole book, or all of Star Trek, being about Heinlein? Because I thought oh, that that was well, yeah, a little overblown. The- we, he yeah. says the original start series is Heinlein and Next Generation is Asgard. I was excited mm-hmm. when he said that's that. A, I was excited. Uh, maybe we can read Star Star uh, with Space Cadet, right? It, yeah, he really hated Space Cadet's thesis. And, but and, and it, it says that Star Trek basically is slamming Space Cadet as in a book. Yeah, I I think that there there's probably a little bit to that, but. Um, I, don't, I think yeah, I, I think he's over, he overstretched that point. I mean, when, when he was talking about space kid and the whole like nuclear the Iowa uh, connection, I mean, yeah, I yeah. That. Um, I mean, have you have you? I mean, when I was thinking, we was talking about space yeah, and the space control having the nuclear bomb. I kept thinking of the Heinlein story solution on Satisfactory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where where we had where where we have a uh, Manning having nuclear radiation bombs and having a monopoly on power that way. It, but that that's a that's a very dark story, very dark answers to the question of uh, abrogating absolute power into one person. But yeah, so yeah, I, he's I really Heinlein is really dealing with with issues in the world, uh, and that that is. So I I think that I think that Roddenberry is engaging absolutely with Heinlein, but I don't think it's specifically Heinlein or specifically that or the other couple books he mentioned. Um, and as to the Asimov stuff, I think that that's much more supported. Um, especially in his citations, right? He's got a lot more yeah. quotes. Yeah, especially since I but recently... I noted it right it. away when Dato came on board the Enterprise and they said he had a positive... Tr- I'm like, Asimov, right? I knew yeah. it right away. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and, and some of the economics of how the foundation works. Yeah, the foundation's pretty fucking weak. Is, yeah, because I recently truth. listened well, on my trip to Utah. I listened to a dramatization of the Foundation trilogy. Yeah, that's and, uh, BBC. One. Yeah, but, and I, I and I and I liked it because it, it cut out a lot of things and streamlined stuff, and it gave me a reintroduction to stories I had not read in a yeah. long time. So Fernandez was first in my mind when he was talking about that. I was like, okay, yeah, because yeah. yeah, because the way the Foundation handles. Mercantile, I mean, because the foundation goes from science based to mercantile based to. But uh, comparing this book to, um, like, we did that uh, Wasteland book by W. Scott Poole, he does it, he did way more research than this book did. Like, I, I, well, I, I feel it's also scattershot. Pieces, but at least he did his research. It, it was more scattershot, like, not than this book, but, you know, than I'd like. But at least that book, like, I feel like he, he made some serious connections. He cites a ton of evidence. Whereas yeah, this is, feels like it's very, it's much more pick and choose sort of at random to focus on. And it doesn't have a, uh, sweeping, like, if, if, if if Star Trek communist was the guy, I I don't know anything really about him. But if he was the guy who did the introduction to this book or the forward to this book or whatever, um, I would hope that he would not do his normal thing. Whereas everything's communism. It's cool. I like Star Trek. More like goddamn, he got all sorts of shit wrong in here, and the reason it's because of you know there needs to be some some real um, criticism of how we get from where we are to where we need to be, right? That utopia is not, uh, it's not impossible. The, the, the I've warp engines. I've got knock your socks off. Yeah. Jesse. It was like published in 1848. <laughs> um, Tell me about uh, it. Uh, What's it called? Um, uh, it's called the, the, the communist manifesto. Yeah. It's by this like, uh, like German, like layabout journalist who was like having to hide out in England. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, Let's book good, it. Pretty good Let's book, book I think the show. Reference in a, in a couple Star Trek episodes. <laughs> I need to get. Um, I want to go. Uh, isn't? Wouldn't, that's not. Is it Capital? I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, Capital is the. Is well, the one the that was published in newspaper columns. Manifesto. It's the yeah. No, I know that. But but, but he. We should do an episode on the Communist Manifesto. I'm am d- down with it. Um, but uh, but what is the right book to do? Because, um, I believe he like a lot of one of his books is were all newspaper columns. First? Oh, oh yeah, oh, oh, Marx's books. The um, most of his uh, like history stuff starts out as newspaper columns. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to go and get those original scans because I don't, <laughs> uh, dude. I do not trust fucking anybody. I need to see the original scans because it, people change stuff, right? Oh yeah. And and no and nobody fucking cares. Like I care. I care if that word is not the right word. I care if you've, uh, you know, turned one word into two words. I care because I don't like being bullshitted. When I, when I first heard, uh, The Call of Cthulhu read by uh, Wayne June, I was really mad when I found out that, um, he had, it was him. I thought it was the publisher had changed the text to say from Mr. Niggerman to, um, Mr. Blackman. And the reason I was mad is because I didn't know H.P. Lovecraft was racist. Rats in the wall? No. Oh, yeah. You're right. It was the rats in the walls. Yeah, it wasn't the call of Cthulhu. It's the rats in the wall. Yeah, yeah. He, he, Wayne June pronounced it Mr. Niggerman. 
and oh, sorry, called him uh, Mr. Blackman. And that was his choice. He was given the original text, and Wayne June changed it. So this is the big fight I had with Wayne. It was like, you've made a mistake. And, you know, he doesn't want to be associated with that word. I understand. I don't want to be associated with that word. But it's what was written. Just like you don't change Mark Twain's words, you don't change H.P. Lovecraft's words. If you do, well, actually, you're just going like down. Our reader, who seems to know Star Trek, mm-hmm. said uh, Ferengis. <laughs> I think there's a different. different he's a dad. He's bu- he's he's busy being a dad. So give him a break, okay? He sleepless <laughs> nights. He doesn't have time for a Star Trek re- rewatch and re-listen to uh, how Garrick's name is. I, I mean, I haven't I haven't thought about Garrick since he originally was on the show. You know. In the nineties, so that's a long time. I mean, I mean, I missed, I missed way back when the whole queer subtext between Garrick and Bashir. But, oh you know, man, that's so awesome! I love it. That. And his that relationship with his 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 uh, boss too, and he's like got severe, he's got like sexual perversion sort of vibes coming from his tor- interest in torture. It's kind of super gay. Yeah, I, but but I was young. I was young and callow then, and yeah. Now we have it's obvious. Back then it was not. So You're gonna have to have a whole Garrick chapter. We need another. Yeah, I'll have a Garrick chapter. <laughs> It'll be Garrick chapter. S and M, S and M, and the Cardassian uh, Union, or whatever oh, it's like called. All the Klingon sex too is kind of. No, but that's much more consensual. Whereas that's that's more impact play. Oh, by the way, <laughs> y'all notice it's usually consensual too, isn't it? I don't know. Um, safe saying consensual. Yes. I don't know. What <laughs> what I can tell you is what I noticed. That's just, I guess there's more rage. Do you notice all the Cardassian females have their their spoon on their head is blue? Yeah. Um, but they're not all equally blue. I thought maybe it's like it's like sign of estrus or something, like because the men don't have any color there, right? It's, they're all sort of just gray, but the women's spoon is blue. So either it's like they paint it, right? Uh, like a lipstick or something. Or it's like a... Um, it's a... It could be a visual sign of estrus, I was thinking. Um, in which case, you know, it makes you want to, like, analyze the scenes where, like, there's a scene where he, when one of the lady scientists is uh, fighting with uh, O'Brien, and she doesn't know he's married... And she, she thinks that the reason they're fighting is because they're um, they're flirting. flirting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, "Well, I I can bury many strong sons." <laughs> and, and and that also makes me think about the sperm people and the egg people, right? On Star Trek, oh. it seems to be anybody can breed with anybody else because well, we're all but, humans. But they explain that they explain, explain that. I in know. Generation episode. Yeah. But so but, that but that's important because, because they, they kind of make it work. We don't see any half Cardassian, half humans around, but there's but they but but well, remember there's, there's a bunch of Bajoran Cardassian. There's Bajoran Cardassian. Yes. Remember there's a bunch of uh, Federation planets now in Cardassian Cardassian space. So there's going to be hard human half human half Cardassian. I'm I'm down with this. I'm just saying it's really cool that it might be a uh, it might be lipstick, it might be natural skin tone or it might be like if if the actor gets extra paint on that part of their headpiece, right? They don't know or maybe like that could have been something in there. So Evan, you're going to need to focus on on the, watching the like, color of I have to go No, I actually have to go back to the original like producers notes or something. 
Well, you know, definitely have to look at what the what the scenes are with the blue. Like, like uh, I, I don't remember the first time we see a Cardassian female. It's but certainly you know what I'm thinking the next about generation. right now is there's all this about Garrick being gay. Yes, but like his major romantic interest in the series is who? Uh, Ducat's daughter, right? Who's Ducat's daughter? Okay, oh, is it? Okay, it's been a while. That's okay. He's definitely bisexual. He's not gay. No, but he's he's uh, presents as gay, right? He he presents as gay, but yeah, yeah. he might be, he, but he he might be more predominantly gay than straight bisexual. I mean, I there's mean, plenty I people on, on say, spectrum. Because she's the only Cardassian on the station, or something. <laughs> <laughs> Any Cardassian in a storm? <laughs> but I think it was definitely sexual. I think it was definitely a sexual attraction. Yeah, but the, his major romance is actually with uh, the Doctor Bashir, right? Yes. I don't think so. I mean, it's never. It's flirting. It's flirting. It's well, well, because you know, it's the nineties, and he has one with Odo too. He 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 tortures Odo. There's an overt romance between Garrick and Ducat's daughter. Yeah, I haven't got that far back. And it's like impactful for the plot because yeah, that's in in affects Garrick. Looking forward to that. Uh, so yeah, what, what was and, the and, and there's the Kira, and the Kira Oda relationship. What was the name of that book? Um, uh, Will that's in that chapter that that Jesse's working on. Wait, what what book? <laughs> the the communist the Star Trek sex book. No, 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 no. The, I'm talking about the Marx book. Which one was the one that had the newspaper articles? Oh, that's like all of them. Oh uh, shit! Okay. Uh, yeah. But well, it's going to be a lot of work. The then. Communist Manifesto is, doesn't start his newspaper. Yeah. Article. No, I know that one doesn't. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of later, isn't it? Rather than the what's his first like what's his book order? Mark's book order. Complicated. What's the what's like, the what's the first in the stuff, series? That's never, that's never published. Capital. That's, that's capital. Specifically, the the programmatic uh, like that element there. Best stuff is in Grundrisse, and that's like just his notebooks. I think. Yeah, and and that's not programmatic, right? That's not like here's what we're gonna do. No, I don't need the. I don't. I, I don't need the. I I don't think. I think we'd be better off with Des Capital than with the Communist Manifesto. Oh, yeah, Manifesto. yeah, yeah, no. But, uh, you know, a, a recent book that we should think about is yeah. uh, uh, Four Futures by Peter Fraze, um, where it, like, uh, you know, thinks about the technology we have now, uh, and it's, like, four ways that this could work out. One of them is Star Life Trek. after Capital. Also just like, uh, oh, that know, sounds good. We, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like a slim book, too, and there's an audio book. does look for Oh, dude, let's do it. Let's sign it up right now. Yeah, and I, I think that we could probably get him to be on it. Well, he's a friend of mine. Well, uh, that might be good, but what if I shit all over the book? Yeah, no, that's true. So uh, let's uh, let's not do that then. Well, let's let no. So let's think Manny about it. Manny was on this book. Manny was on this episode. What do you say? Right. So I would be trying to say the same stuff I'm saying now. It'd be harder though because I don't yeah. want to get. I don't want this to be a a fight, right? I don't want. I don't want. I don't want make people mad. But I do want to get at the truth. And so, like, uh, uh, that's why I would want to have Oliver Wyman on. Like, I would totally call him on those mistakes. Um, but I also would praise him for the good work that he does. That's why I like him. It's because he's a really good narrator. And um, now he's a friend of mine, right? But the yeah, thing is... Peter's the kind of guy that would be, like, into that kind of conversation. Well, then it'd probably be okay as long as the book doesn't suck, right? 
And if yeah, I yeah. say maybe you could do better work next time, <laughs> he's going to be mad at me, and maybe that'll ruin the relationship with you or whatever. But I doubt that. So what yeah, I would say, no, and this is like somebody I've known for like a decade, so it's like okay. Okay, well, I'll probably be fine then. Um, let's let's book it if there's an audio yeah, book out there. Um, so the next open slot is the third of January, and then we've got a uh, one ten. Uh, also open, and then by the way, I added to the schedule. Um, Paul and Will already signed up, uh, even though they don't know the date. Uh, the Sowers of Thunder. Oh uh, yeah, Robert Howard. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you, I also so added the Hound. Had to stop record. Yeah. You. Oh yeah. Good idea. And I gotta go shortly. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. I'm just going to I'm just going to warrant that because I'm not I'm not giving those fuckers my money. Reasonable. They got six bucks of mine. <laughs> one month worth. And that's way too much. And clearly. I, I I the thing is like like that uh that YouTuber you sent me. I watched some of his videos. Which one? Jesse. The, the, the guy with the mask. Oh yeah, the center of the earth who's gonna invade the earth. What's his uh Doomcock. <laughs> yeah. Dictor von Doom Doomcock. Too woke, like woke is broke. This, it's not woke. It's the thing it's is, it's stupid. Like, not woke at all. It's actually just bad. It's yeah. It's, it's not leftist in any way. Like next generation, as this book kind of shows, way more left. Hey, save, save it for the podcast. Save it. Yeah, Evan does all sorts of tricks on his direct messages, trying to get me to open up about stuff. However, um, I have some material I just tweeted uh, from last night. That I will send to everybody I, I, except for I Paul. Didn't, I didn't see it. Um, <laughs> it just went oh, up four oh, yeah, minutes so, ago. Oh yeah, so Evan probably doesn't know, and and Misa doesn't know that. Um, I believe it's it's the doing of my friends, the trolls. I but I got I've been um, locked out of Twitter for a week. You got did you get canceled? I, I got canceled. Slightly canceled. For what? Um, he, he was he was too woke. He went broke. <laughs> yeah, I, no, they, they, they will. They, they, you know, when, when you mass false report an account, then Twitter takes action, and Twitter decided to take action. So, uh-huh. I for one, so, yeah, so don't think they can, can make any Twitter, mistakes. But I can't do anything else with Twitter. At You've the clearly done something wrong personally. That's the only reason anybody gets canceled off of Twitter. They made a a category error. And they thought that they were better than the wise minds at Twitter. The collective punishment. You deserve to be burned as a witch. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 um, so I just sent a, a, a tweet of an episode I watched last night. Um, I won't say anything about it oh, other than you can watch that I little see, clip oh, there. Interesting. Yes, let's save that for the podcast. That's an interesting. Yes, that's an interesting bit in is that the ROM one. This book? Uh, no, it's it's uh, although ROM I think is in this uh, R- maybe this episode oh, or the one after he's taking an exam. It, 
Is this the one where they make the um, solar sail? Yeah. And then, and then I got all screaming, yelling, started throwing things, broke my new TV because um, at the end of the episode, the uh, Cardassians like did a whole bunch of fireworks in outer space, and they could hear them. (laughs) Um, it's, It's it's it's. Star Trek, Jesse, forget it. Yes, I know you can't hear sounds in space, but you know. Save it for the podcast. Oh, 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 what's, your, what's your Babylon 5 that doesn't work? <laughs> and Babylon 5 makes up for it by uh, even Babylon 5 use sound in space. I'm so. going to uh, go to the Wikipedia entry for this book because I've forgotten how to pronounce or even know how to spell this guy's name. Manu Sadia? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, who's welcoming who back? I think Mice is welcoming me back. I, that is uh, correct. Okay. Why is yeah, Why is Will back. a cat? Oh, okay. And I was thinking cats and with cats and all in this podcast, but okay. Oh, you're just using it as a phrase. Got it. Welcome back, cat. Um, Welcome back, cat. The second yeah. entry uh, for uh, Manu Sadia and uh, on. Google is uh, John Scalzi's blog. About, wow. John Scalzi's John Scalzi's blog about about uh, whatever. <laughs> um, I guess he wrote it. It's like a guest post. Oh, he he might have done a big idea post yeah. for John Scalzi. Yeah, or vice lots versa. Of people, yeah, lots, lots of people do. Lots of authors do those sorts of things. Yeah. So Treconomics Wikipedia. If you type in Manu Sadia, I spelled it wrong. Um, into Google, the first thing that comes up is the Treconomics Wikipedia entry, and the second thing that comes up is the John Scalzi big idea thing. So, oh, and the third thing that comes up is Manu hashtag BLM at Treconomics. That's his official Twitter account, Treconomics. Uh, so, uh, shall we get started? Yeah, we probably well, should. should. Shakespeare. Shakespeare? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I forgot. We need to cancel Shakespeare. Oh, we have to cancel Shakespeare. <laughs> yes. Yes. Get him kicked off of Twitter. Get him banned from Why? Facebook. Removed from YouTube. Because um, I just, I was like doing what I normally do, you know, tutoring. Um, and uh, I noticed uh, he's eminently cancelable. Cancelable. I was reading uh, with a student um, the, what's the one set in Padua? Uh, it's a um, comedy. It's yeah. uh, it's called an it's Merchant. got an induction. It's not my, gentleman. That's no, not gentleman of the Barone. No, no. Um, it's not the. It's not the. It's got uh, oh, Taming of the Shrew. I was going to say oh, it has a shrew in it. <laughs> the Taming of the Shrew, um, and uh, the way women are treated in there, um, it's hilarious and uh, uh, very um, cancelable. Yeah, there, there's a statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah. limitations on canceling. Well, well, apparently Lovecraft before is for the, the 18th century. Oh, I see. Wherever wherever Lovecraft starts is where you you, you get. It's George Washington. <laughs> is it George Washington? 18th century people. Um. Yeah. Who? Andrew Jackson's canceled. Yeah, Jackson. So, but wow. Jefferson's not. So, 18th century uh, safe. But but there, but there are attempts. He to was cancel canceled Jefferson. in the past, though, right? Like he got canceled in the '90s, where he's just okay now. <laughs> well, he sort of got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got canceled. canceled in the '90s. 
<laughs> Adams tried to cancel him, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, like, but but he was like soft about it, right? He was yeah. like, no, but now you're my best A friend. soft cancel. Soft cancellation. It's like, I cancel you publicly, but now we like send love letters to each other. Yeah. And you also send love letters to my wife. Wow. <laughs> wow. It was a strange time. Yeah, the 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 Jefferson. Uh, I, I I might in my podcast, my modest one. I I looked at the Jefferson Abigail Adams letters. I d- I didn't hear that one. I'm up. I'm. It was when I was doing Founders. Oh, okay. Oh. I think I skipped most well, of I those. I think I did Jefferson. And then no, Cookville. I didn't. I, I I heard some of them, but they were the like more Jefferson, obscure guys. Cokeville, Lincoln. So not really the Founders, but. Did like a series on them? Yeah, yeah. I think I skipped Jefferson. I don't. Uh, you you put out a lot of podcasts, which is excellent. It's just um, I also do uh, a lot of podcasting, so I don't have time yeah. for everything. Um. Uh. So you uh you uh found that um was David Agronoff tweet. When was that put out? When he's starting That's to turn on his own Facebook. Oh, it's a Facebook. It was- it's just he's got such bad taste. Yes, he does. Anyone who can defend Discovery at this point? Well, see, I think I think there's a lot of hope involved, right? I think when when I go into a thing, right, I I'm I sort of have a cynical bent, so I assume everything is is going to be incompetent and shit. And then if it isn't, uh, oh, I'm I'm slightly surprised. <laughs> Whereas I think, like, Scott stuck with Enterprise a lot longer than I did. And I'm like, yeah, this show is pretty shit. And I was, like, pretty shit right away. The decision not to have Star Trek in the title was a pretty shit idea. And then, oh, no, no, we we fucked up. Oh, sorry, sorry, we'll put it back in there. Right? Like, it just started off called Enterprise. And then... Yeah, but that the, show did pay off. I think yeah, it I think it's That's it, what I heard. It took a while. That's what I heard. But yeah, but the characters yeah. were still kind of uh, even the characters got better. And, 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 and the, the, last, the, the last episode annoys the fuck out of me, but that's just me. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's not a good episode. But season four is kind of fun. It's yeah, that's that's a good thing. I I mean, if there's shall, some shall, value, shall there? we get going? I do have a I do have gaming. Sure. Today. Paul's actually, Paul's busy. Actually, actually, the gaming last week actually didn't come off because someone got the dates wrong. But so we're gaming today. So. All right. All right. Um, I have a recorder started. If somebody else would like to get one going, I'm just going to bring mine up. Yep, there it is. And my recorder is ticking over. So we are we are live. We are live. We are live. Okay. So um, let's see. Let me look at the uh, number of people here. so I think I'm first. Paul's next. Yeah, the spreadsheet thing. Uh, Paul's next. Then it would be um, Evan, Misa, Will. Is that that sounds about right? It's is good Evan enough. Above Misa at this point. Above is socially. Um, no. I think I think Evan might be more frequent than my. We'd have to actually yeah. do the thing and actually look at the thing. Yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always worth it. No, it's not. That's a waste of time. Let's get started. Everybody know their place. Will's yeah. last. That's the important part. He's yeah, a, he's, that, he's low man on the totem pole. Hmm. 
Does it make you feel good? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're the base, the strong base of the totem pole. Yeah, yeah. Wow, and you guys are like the superstructure. I'm the heavyweight that's about to knock us over and collapse the whole totem pole. I know. I'm culturally appropriating the... uh, the uh, symbol, whatever. You're like First Nations adjacent, right? My sister's First Nations, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. There we go. <laughs>